Hello, everybody, and welcome to All In. My name is Skies of Eric Cadia Legends. And my name is Seth World Build. It's nice to be back, everybody. And hey, it's December, man. Holiday season. Are you excited? Oh, dude, of course. I'm stoked. I mean, we just got the whole Arkham trilogy on Nintendo Switch. And I mean, everybody knows that you can't have Christmas without Batman. I mean, they're basically synonymous at this point. How, how so? Well, come on, man. Batman Returns, like, is a Christmas movie. It just is. Arkham Origins is basically a Christmas game. And, I mean, we all sing that classic carol every year, you know. Jingle bells, Batman smells, check out our top five. The Dark Knight's in, some awesome games will count down here now live. Yeah, that's that's not how that goes. But that's how I've always sung it. But what about you, man? Excited about the holidays? Yeah, the holidays were good. Spent some time with family. It's what the holidays are all about. But December also means that the end of the year is upon us. So I'm catching up on a couple things before Golden Aces season, like Dredge from Black Salt Games. Even just came out with some winter-themed DLC, so that makes it perfect for today's Indie Showcase. And and it's also that time of the year we get to enjoy the retelling of that classic tale. You know, those the wise heroes following the star. And, and, you know. Oh, yeah. The, the three wise men following the, the star of Bethlehem, right? No, I was talking about Mario and crew collecting the seven pieces of the Shattered Star Road in Super Mario RPG. Uh, of course. Of course you were. Well, it's been 27 years since the original Squaresoft collaboration first hit our consoles, and now that the remake is finally blessedly in our hands, it's time to put it through its paces today in our full review of Super Mario RPG. Well, we certainly celebrate the holidays our own way here at All End, don't we? And how does that classic Christmas carol go on, on the first week of Christmas? All End gives to you a great episode to listen to. That's not how that goes. Uh, that's how I always sung it. And whatever. It's time to go all in. Hey, 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 everybody. I'm back. And thrilled to be here with another episode of All In a Nintendo Podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show, where each and every week, no shells left unturned, no point is left unearned. Feels good to be back. I am sick. You can probably tell. I was about to say, it's like, is, is Seth actually back or did we get Barry White here to join All In with us? <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Ooh. Just like, in, in, make it nice and smooth. No, I'm sick. Um, And we're, I was telling Eric, I was like, yo, we got to get this podcast recorded because I don't think... <laughs> I think I'm gonna have a voice tomorrow. Um, so we're we're kind of we're shotgunning this thing this week, man. I'm uh, he's got I'm some hot tea. Out. He's taking care of himself. Yeah. I promise. I'm not just like record the podcast, Seth. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, like I, I've been gone the past couple weeks, and I did. I wanted to make sure that you know I I was able to come back, and it is like classic Seth luck to get sick as soon as I come back from break. That's just classic me. Um, but you know. It is what it is. We're here. 
We're making it. Uh, I'm happy to be back. You did a great job holding down the fort while I was gone. Well, thank you. Um, I had a lot of fun. A huge, huge thank you to all of our friends who who helped me celebrate Friendsgiving over the past couple of weeks. I had an absolute blast with all of you guys. So thank you once again for all of that and for uh, for all the for all the lovely well wishing from for our, our amazing community. Yeah, that was so that was such a joy to to listen to to hear those people and you know everybody was uh was so gracious to come on and uh and hang out and make those episodes so big thanks to everybody to uh Mute Dog and Sparky and Tim and Matt and Bowza and um Adam who all came in uh for for those episodes so big thanks to everybody for doing that and for yeah for holding down the fort while I was gone it was it was a total joy to get to just listen to the show as a fan. So, um, I really appreciate y'all for, uh, for doing that. It means a lot. Um, but speaking of those people and speaking of appreciation, yeah, we've also got to do something else here at the top of the show. Yeah, well, we're about to hear those names again, because here at the top of every episode <laughs> of All In, we count out so many of our amazing friends, specifically our patrons. That's right at patreon.com slash all in podcast. Huge thanks to the people who support us over there. Uh, starting with our golden banana tier supporters like Rob Yapel, third strongest mole, Sean, Sean O'Baggins Ashton, Tim A, aka Neo Prime 33, aka Nintendo Dad number four, Matt, Shy Guy City Murray, Phelan Ward, Bill Tucker, Marcus O'Neill, Liam D, Gamer Jason, Andrew Wilkins, Foolish Fuji, Alan hashtag look to the cookie, Patrice Millette, and solo something. So big thanks to our golden banana bunch. You can get a seven day free trial to join their ranks, see what all the fuss is about. But moving into our Triforce tier, baritone, there. Uh, we need to thank Josh Vaughn, the godfather of Tingle Love Tuesday, John Datfast Cummins of the Retro Logic Podcast, as well as the On Topic Retro Podcast, the Globe Trotting Jet Set Nintendo Hub and Sparky of the Nintendo Hub over there on YouTube, Adam Caparello from the Retro Groove Podcast, Shy Guy, the other half of our Shy Guy Mod Squad. Thank you, Shy Guy. Daniel Hinojosa, Dan and Luma, Bowza, and the legend himself. Uh, it's Bowza, Keeper of the Hugs. Oh, there you go. Bow's a keeper of the hugs. I like that. (laughs) And the legend himself, uh, the the holiday in human form, Uncle Randy. Uncle Randy. Thanks so much, everybody. Everybody who supports us over there. Patreon.com slash all in podcast. Again, seven day free trial. Golden Bananas here. You can check out the exclusive content over there for yourself. Yeah, I feel so, like um, all of my yeah. Uncle Randy shoutouts now are going to pale in comparison to Matt's from last week. That was genuinely really good. It was a good one. <laughs> yeah, was good that, was, one. that was good. That was, I, I don't know if, uh, that's probably the, the first time anybody's ever done an Uncle Randy shoutout other than you. Yeah, and it honestly. was really good. It was really Pretty good. good. <laughs> yeah. I feel so like all was, of my Uncle nice. Randy shoutouts from now on are just going to be trying to live up to that one. <laughs> yeah fair yeah so anyways that, that was really cool uh patreon.com slash all in podcast uh what else we have merch bit.ly slash all in merch uh is the place to go for that yeah. coming um, up on uh coming up on cocoa season you know it's always yeah. coffee season but coming up on hot cocoa season maybe you should grab yourself a nice little all-in mug get a nice mug. little all-in mug yeah. i've got one i drink coffee from it i love my mug yeah Good, good, high quality mugs over there. Um, also, five star reviews. Uh, good free way to support the show. 
uh, on your podcast, on your podcatcher of choice. We really appreciate that. Yes. Uh, really quick and easy. So that's really appreciated as well. And huge shout outs to everybody who shared their Spotify wrapped um, this past week. Spotify wrapped kind of made their rounds again. And a lot of people sort of made a point to, to share with us that, hey, you were like in my top five uh, podcasts and stuff. So really appreciate everybody who uh, who did that. By the way, Special shout out to uh, Anna Hudak, who we were for the second year running. <laughs> yes, I saw the that. <laughs> the longest, longest podcast <laughs> <laughs> that she had listened to that year, second year running. So we're we're proud to have that very prestigious award from Anna Hudak. Yeah. So uh, to shout outs to her as well. Um, cool. But uh, yeah, with we all of that out of the up. way. Yeah, yeah, we got to we got to come in for the hat trick. We, we got a three peat on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So with all that being said, sir, what has been going on in your world this week? Nope, 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 nope. Not going to do that. You're the one who's had all this time off. Oh, you want me the, to go first? The the, okay. the people want to hear what you have been up to. The people want to know how your time off has been. Obviously, we you know we hear you're a little under the weather right now, but you know, did you actually did it recharge? the batteries do you feel you know did you feel rested at least how did you enjoy the past couple weeks my friend um it was a lot of i got into this a little bit on two dollar hero cast a lot of like mixed emotions about it to be honest um it i i hated being away from everybody i really didn't like that i didn't like the sort of isolating feeling of you know so many of my best friends like you, like the people at carpool gaming are also the people that I make content with. Mm -hmm. So like with the exception of a few things, like we played risk of rain returns, as you mentioned, we did, uh, with Matt and that was fun. There there are a couple like little, you know, things that we got to do, but for the most part, it was a pretty like lonely experience. And I wasn't, I didn't love that. Um, but otherwise, like the nice thing is, is it did have me like itching to come back. Um, when you take a a break like that and you know, your work means so much to you, you are just sort of like dying to get back into it. Uh, so I was very excited to sort of get everything rolling again. Like on Monday, it was like, cool, we're recording $2 hero cast. We're making like three videos on the YouTube channel. We're streaming that night, you know? Um, so there's a lot, and I know uh, it's been going on. And this is not to say that I think you have no confidence in me, but because of like you you said this on Discord, because of how deeply yeah. tied you are into the production of yes. the show, I feel the same way. Like if I've done something for so long, I have a standard of quality. I know the way I like to do it. So to be able to hand something off like that, to be able to no longer have my fingers in something that I've been proud of and something that I've toiled on for actual literal years to be able to use like as much love and as much confidence as you might have in the person you're handing it off to it's still like it's still i can imagine at least it must feel like handing off your child to somebody to care for big time yeah and there there was um you know there was a part of me like when when doing that it's like and and I, I I sort of said this as well, but it's like the thing that you make is really only as strong as it is when you step away from it. Like I can be a big part of the Jenga tower, but it should still stand when you remove the Seth piece, you know, from it. And, uh, and you, you like were there to say that you and the community were there to say, yeah, like it does, <laughs> you know, like you're allowed, 
you you can go and do this. You're allowed. We got you. Um, and that was really meaningful. You know, that was a really powerful, like the, the first episode, especially that I heard without me on it was a very emotional. That was a very like emotional episode for me to listen to. Um, and, uh, yeah, like it, yeah, it means, it means more than I can say to, to see how this thing still kind of trucks on, um, without me. Um, not saying that, uh, you know, y'all can't get rid of me that easily. <laughs> um, but it, but it is nice to know that like, uh, that all in doesn't just, you know, doesn't live or die by my involvement with it. So really cool. Uh, really like powerful. I, I definitely extracted like some, some good, like, um, value out of lessons like that. And again, like the, the sort of like want to just get back into it and sit here and, uh, hang out with you and yeah. uh, play games and stuff. And I did play a lot of games uh, on the break. Good. hundred um, percented Mario RPG. Nice. Effectively, nice. Which we'll talk about much more later yes, on the show. Yes, we will. <laughs> um, uh, you, you already, you and Matt did such a good, do- uh, good job talking about risk of rain returns. I won't belabor that too much other than to say that really good. Yeah. Good game as it turns yeah. out. If you're interested in checking out Risk of Rains, uh, myself and our good friend Matt Shy Guy City Murray did an indie showcase on that last week. So if you'd like to hear more on that, just boot up all in episode 181. Yep. So I'll I'll let that be what it is. I don't have much more to add to it than that. Um, other than to say that like the the soundtrack in that game is so good. It is I, really um, good. When when we all got together and played that, I bought it on Bandcamp like while we were playing it. It's that good. It's really excellent. You can't really tell because it's for a little. You know, it's not as high quality as I would have liked. But in the episode art, uh, I had a shy guy for you know to represent that, <laughs> and he's actually what he's holding. It's kind of hard to tell what he's holding is actually the vinyl soundtrack cover for the Risk of Rain Return soundtrack. It's so good. Yeah, it's an excellent <laughs> soundtrack. It really is. So uh, I, I did want to give a special shout out to that. Uh, played a bunch of Dredge, which we'll talk about here in a moment as well. Um, I wanted to shout out a couple games that I did make videos on. So before I went on break, um, I made a video for a game called In Stars and Time. We were very lucky to get a code for that from the publisher uh, quite early. We got it like three weeks before the game came out. Yeah. Um, Turns out that was a good thing is the game is apparently really long. I haven't finished it yet, but um, from what I have heard from people who have finished it, the game's like 45 hours long. Um, so it's like a full RPG uh, in stars and time to me, uh, just in the, the, you know, the time that I've spent with it, this feels poised to be like the next undertale, Amori, you know, sort of experience, for people who want it. I think it's going to sadly kind of go under the radar, but just because of the stacked nature of this year, but it's special. It has something to say. It's got great characters. It's got great music and art. And like, if you're an undertale and a Mori fan, like you should already own in stars and time. Um, this feels very much like within that sort of lineage, that sort of like turn-based RPG with like, theming and something to say and like great writing um really cool and i have a video for that on the youtube channel that i recorded before my break so the embargo (laughs) went up during my break and everybody's like hang on he put out a video what's going on here it it was it was recorded long before my break so yeah i specifically um, in on several occasions told seth 
don't work. I said, I actually texted him because I said, stop working. Yeah. And like what sucked was like two days after my break, there was an indie world showcase. Like, Oh, great. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. So (laughs) exactly. I guess not only am I not live reacting to that, but also we ended up getting a bunch of codes in our inbox and it's like, I, Guess I'm not making videos for these for a couple weeks. So, but I finally did. Um, played a lot of Backpack Hero, which um, which is really cool. It's the if you guys watch the Indie World Showcase, it's that one where he plays a mouse and it's like an inventory management roguelike RPG. Um, really looks cool. really interesting. I, yeah, yeah, I like it a lot. Um, I will say the game has got like the story mode. There's like a campaign mode of the game where you do like your sort of like traditional roguelike dungeon crawling inventory management RPG thing, um, which is neat. But in the story mode, you also kind of go back to like a home base and you build up a town. The town building thing, if I'm being honest, um, and this is one I should say, we got this for free. So thanks to the publisher for sending us the code for that. Um, The town building stuff does feel a bit tacked on. To me, if I'm being honest, uh, it feels a little clunky. I didn't really need it to be there. Like the the core of the game is so good that like I'm kind of good with it just being that, with it just being a roguelike dungeon crawler with this unique sort of gimmick. Luckily, you can just play the game that way. There's a there's a mode of the game where you can just play it like that and still continue to like unlock stuff. And um, so you can engage with the game in that way if you want to, which is really cool. The game actually has like a dozen different modes. Oh, wow. Uh, it's got, it's got a lot of content in it. Um, I showcase some of it in the, uh, in the video on the YouTube channel, but uh, it's really cool. Um, if you guys did, if you guys missed the indie world, the whole gimmick with backpack hero is like, if you think about these sort of grid based inventory management of something like a uh, resident evil four, probably most famously, um, that's kind of the, the game's entire like premise, but they have baked a little RPG into it. So for example, when you're going throughout this dungeon, you might pick up some gloves and it's like, however, you know, X amount of spaces are to the right or left of wherever you've placed these gloves, that'll give it an armor bonus. Or if you have a helmet, you want to have that kind of towards the top of your inventory because that gives you armor bonuses based on how many spaces are below it. Um, there are certain, um, weapons that can only be arranged diagonally and, you know, and things like this. So they, they've really kind of like blended the inventory management and like the grid space into the gameplay. And, um, it's really neat. It's it's really cool. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I, I have like to check it, it out. You should. Yeah, I, I think you would. You dig it. It's a really neat idea. Um, also made a video for Passparto Two: The Lost Artist. I think. <laughs> yeah, Tim and I were struggling to figure out how to pronounce that. I don't know if it's supposed to be Passpart Two or Passpartout. I don't know, but um, I don't know. I, I I've never attempted to speak French in my entire life. I'm just a dumb American. All I know, all I know, is that English. Yeah, it's sort of like if like um if like Sesame Street was in France. Like the the tone of it, like the it's like Sesame Street puppets, you know. Mm-hmm. Um the entire thing has like kind of a puppet theater thing uh going on. We got this as well for free, so thanks to the the publisher for sending that along. Um put up a video on the YouTube channel as well. But the the fun thing the game's just kind of like fun and silly. Um it starts off kind of like serious, like this character is like 
depressed and listless and doesn't know what to do with his art anymore, but kind of, you know, goes to get a new lease on life, joins this uh, League of Masters or whatever it's called, and or Museum of Masters, I think it is. Um, wants to get his art in there. And, trying to be uh, a superhero do- or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're trying to get your art in the Museum of Masters, and you're doing it by these, like, there's a bunch of, like, different side quests. It might be something like there's a dock worker who needs you to design... Um, to design like a uh, sign to warn people about the danger fish in the water. Um, so, you know, like you, you whip up like a goofy looking, cause it's all cursor controls. So like your art is not going to be good in the game. It's going to look <laughs> terrible. Yeah. That's, right? that's exactly what I was afraid of when Tim and I were talking about that. Just like, cause I, because there's something like that when it comes to chicory, you can draw stuff similarly to, to stuff like in chicory. And I was just, I, I was frankly ashamed of what my fingers created in that game. And I just, <laughs> I knew I was going to look down at just, you know, it's like you're trash. You are absolute Ch- trash. <laughs> chicory. I could do halfway decent at cause chicory had motion controls and even touch controls. I don't think pass does. And the, the reason for that, I guess is because like, the game kind of knows that like, it's going to be silly and bad. Um, like, I don't even think from what I saw just in a little bit that I played, I don't even think you can erase anything until you get the right tools. Um, so like it kind of knows that what you're going to make is not good. Um, so, and it leans into that. So it's funny, you know, at a certain point, like I had to draw like some poop, you know, (laughs) on a, you know, it's, it's, it's got a good like sense of humor to it. It's silly. I like it. Um, yeah. Yes. Video for that on the YouTube channel. Truly worthy of being in the museum of masters. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what what so, a metaphor for adulthood. This painting is. If you want to, if you want to see the, uh, you know, if you, if you really want to see some fine art being created, check out the YouTube video. Uh, there's some good artwork happening there. <laughs> um, what else? Toaster ball. We uh, got a copy of that. Thanks to the publisher for sending that along. Um, there may or may not be a video on the YouTube channel, depending on if I have a voice or not. I need to record that and get it up. Uh, came out this week. Um, that's a silly little game that is like kind of a fighting game, but it's like you're playing as two toasters uh, that can shoot up toast. And it's basically Pong, but you're shooting up toast into the air to knock the ball back and forth. Um, that's basically what it is, but it's like the most bombastic over the top fighting game. Um, between rounds, it'll go to different like stages and stage elements. One of them is just portal, like, like literally the video game portal. Like it is orange (laughs) and blue. There's companion cubes. Like they, you know, they, they know what they're doing in, in one of them you and the opponent are like underneath the stage and have to like break through the floor before you can do anything. Um, it's just silly and goofy. All of the toasters have like deep character bios and like, you know, there's <laughs> gotta, like this, gotta like get that toaster ball lore, man. <laughs> they, there's like, you know, the toasters who are like, you know, like Serbian, like lumberjacks, you know, they're like kind of like dorky character bios for these toasters. It's just like fun and silly. It's not taking itself seriously. Very clean, you know, snappy art and design and stuff. Just seems like the kind of game that'll be like fun to, you know, goof around with with friends at a party. You know, just kind of silly. 
but Toaster Ball is uh, is cool. That came out this week. Uh, I streamed some Detective Pikachu Returns. Finally, I streamed the first like three and a half hours of that, and uh, I'd been meaning to get to that for quite some time. Uh, that sure is Detective Pikachu too. That is exactly what it is to the point where, like, to be honest, and I do like it actually quite a bit. I'm having fun with it, but like, you can tell that they, you can tell that they started development of that thing on 3DS and at a certain point moved it to Switch. Like, it feels like a 3DS game that got ported up. Just like visually, the, you know, the visuals kind of just look like a slightly prettier 3DS game, to be honest. Uh, the gameplay is very simplistic, although there are a couple of things in the game that like, uh, are a bit of a step above kind of the stuff that you saw in detective Pikachu one. Um, for example, there's a moment where you actually control detective Pikachu and you hop on the back of this Growlithe who can like track down sense. So you're like following sense throughout the city on the back of this Growlithe and, um, there's a little gameplay variety in there. It's cute. It's fun. It's Detective it, Pikachu. It's Detective Pikachu. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Don't come into it wanting it to be anything more than it is. If you liked the first one, you'll like this. I don't know if I can recommend somebody go out and pay full price for this. I paid under 30 bucks for it. If you can get it for that price and you liked the first game, I think you should go for it. Uh, it's It's good. I'm looking forward to playing more. I might just like stream my whole playthrough of that because it was a fun game to stream. Nice. Um, yeah, I played that. I got everybody one two switch on sale. <laughs> I got it for like eight bucks. Um, my wife and I have played it once. I don't know if we'll play it ever again, but the one time we played it was fun. Uh, <laughs> it was a, that, it was a fun time. That sounds I've owned it since it came. It's actually still in the plastic, but that's exactly what I always imagined my experience with that game to be. And I, it's not to say that it wouldn't be fun to bust out at parties or something, but man, in this year, didn't it seem like it just completely flew under the radar? Like it just came out and was instantly forgotten. Yeah, they, I mean, like, you know, that, that game never stood a chance in this year, to be frank. Um, but it's, you know, it's fine. It is what it is. There is a, there's a neat mini game where, uh, you have to like hide, like one person hides the Joy-Con somewhere in the room and the other person can press like the button on their Joy-Con to make it vibrate so they can try to find it. So that's, that was a fun, you know, little game. There's another one where, uh, you can use the, <laughs> you're trying um, to discover how effectively you can hide things from your wife, essentially. <laughs> yeah, basically, <laughs> uh, there's another, there's another kind of interesting game where, uh, you can use the, like the IR sensor or whatever to, uh, to read like a color, like you're trying to best match the, um, trying to best match like the color that they've selected for you uh, with something that's just in the room. So there, there are a couple fun little, you know, just like the first game, it actually kind of like takes advantage of the hardware reasonably well. So mm -hmm. yeah, you know, kind of neat um, played that. And like I said, I don't know if we'll ever go back to it, but for eight bucks, it was, it was fun. Hey, there you go. Um, we also got a copy of roots of Pacha, which there's also a video on the YouTube channel for that. I'm really, really impressed with that game. Um, I have not gone back to it after making the video, but I really want to. That game to me, and I said this in the video, but the feeling that I got from it instantly was 
this is, you know, there have been a lot of like Stardew Valley clones in the years since Stardew Valley's come out. That game is as close to Stardew Valley as anything has ever come, I think, in terms of the vibe, in terms of the pixel art, the music, like my title of the video is Roots of Pacha is like Stone Age Stardew Valley. It really is. Like it is, if you put Stardew Valley in prehistoric times with like some interesting new gameplay hooks, like they've really kind of done it. See, that's um, that's the idea. Like, does it have any actual like interesting new gameplay hooks or is it just a case of, yeah, this is cool, but if you want to play something like this, just go get Stardew Valley. Well, I think um, it definitely has its own like identity because you, um, the big thing about this, it's prehistoric. You're part of a tribe um, and you, your tribe members and the other people that are sort of around you um, can come up with ideas and innovations and inventions and creations. So for example, early on um, there was a character who's like, Hey, like I was taking a nap the other day and I thought I heard water under the ground. So together we invented the well. <laughs> you know, um, and like we, you know, there, there are a couple situations like that. Um, you also do this kind of like rite of passage where you determine kind of what is important to your character and you are sort of chosen by like the spirit of the Pacha tree, um, what your like spirit animal is going to be. And that gives you like different advantages, um, so, I love yeah. the I love the idea of a bunch of like Stone Age Neanderthal characters walking around just like inventing things that we've just all taken yeah. for granted for generations. It's like, huh, do you like this? It tastes good. I call it a roast. Yeah. Yeah. So like stuff like that's kind of neat, you know? Like I, I like that sort of uh that sort of hook. You have to um another thing, because there isn't like a traditional like store or anything in the game, because this is again prehistoric. So every day you're expected to contribute at least three items to your tribe. Everybody has to kind of contribute. Um, and the items that you contribute, you're effectively selling them, you know, like you would in a normal game, but your tribes like inspiration kind of goes up from contributions. So that's how ideas sort of happen. Um, and that's how, if you want to, for example, get a belt upgrade or something like that, you know, that happens for the more contributions you give later on in the game. You can even like learn how to tame animals and ride them and stuff like this. So it's also quite a bit more open. It seems like than Stardew Valley, um, in terms of like, there, there's a bunch of like different areas you can go to and stuff. It's really neat. Um, I really want to play more of it, but my, my feeling like coming out of it was like, this is going to be the game. I, you know, I know some people who, you know, they've extracted all the marrow out of Stardew Valley that they can at this point. And it's like, what now? Nothing else quite gets me there. And I think this might be it. Like, I think Roots of Pacha might be, if you're somebody who is like looking for your next Stardew Valley adjacent thing, I think Roots of Pacha, it should be on your radar and it runs great on Switch. Um, yeah, I was really impressed by it. Fair so. enough. I mean, there's a other, like you said, there's a lot of kind of gardening slash life sims out there. And um, I mean, it's really easy to find a decent one and just sink so much time into that, you know, some genuinely good ones might fly under a lot of people's radar. So I might have to check that one out too. Again, sounds pretty interesting. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it, it's, it's cool. I, I recommend it. Uh, play it a Highland song. I'll tell y'all more about that next week. It's yes. been embargoed. 
Um, but we got that also. So thanks to the publisher who sent that along. We got that actually like right after the Indie World Showcase. So we've actually had it for a couple weeks. So um, we'll chat about that next week. And I'm going to pitch it over to you because the last thing that I spent a lot of time with, um, you also have been spending a lot of time with, and that's the Xenoblade Chronicles 3 Future Redeemed <laughs> expansion. I finally played through that. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, also, ditto Highland Song. Really looking forward to talking about that later on. But yes, here coming toward the end of 2023, it's already December somehow. But yes, that means that uh, those those things that we have to get in before the end of the year, before Golden Ace season, we want to make our awards show as you know big and bombastic as we possibly can. And I knew that I was going to have to get to future redeemed at some point. And sure enough here, I like, like November was just the month of RPGs for me. I had star ocean two. I hundred percented Mario RPG, just like you and here future redeemed the, the Torna of Xenoblade Chronicles three effectively. Uh, really, really good. I, I mean, you, you and I have endless amounts of praise to give to the Xenoblade Chronicle series anyway. The entire trilogy is on the Nintendo Switch at this point. All the DLC, Torna, and Future Redeemed and all that stuff. And it's just, it's so cool. I really enjoy the characters. Matthew, like I was talking about, I'm not really sure what accent he's going for. I don't know if it's like Cajun <laughs> British or something. But uh, I really like the characters. And like you said to me, the amount of fan service, the amount that the original Xenoblade Chronicles with Shulk and Xenoblade Chronicles 2 with Rex, the amount that all three of the games, the first two, and then of course Xenoblade Chronicles 3, the amount that all three are represented here in this one piece of content. When I say a piece of content, it's basically a game in and of itself it's basically its own game just a slightly miniaturized version of a full-size xenoblade game so it'll probably take you you know 20 plus hours i'm already more than 20 hours into it Uh, and again this is dlc so that's just the size of of a xenoblade title but i'm really about 30 with it yeah, yeah i'm really enjoying myself with it i really love how heavily incentivized the exploration is this time they directly tie character progression to exploration and you know the amount of different enemies you fight and the amount of different items you pick up and going around and and finding chests that all feeds into this overall exploration of the world which again turns into you know it, it feeds directly into individual character progression so you're constantly constantly making your characters noticeably better constantly making them noticeably more apt more skilled more powerful and again the story just like in all xenoblade games the story i really really enjoy even the npcs are incredibly endearing and they have their fun own little stories and and arcs going on so i mean it is it's not the 150-hour odyssey that a regular Xenoblade game is, but I am more than happy to play more 30-hour RPGs, and Future Redeemed is living up to everything I heard about it. 
Yeah, Future Redeemed and Torna both have a really good sense of like, let's get to the heart of what makes the base game great. Yeah. And um and they've they've really done that. I love the new the affinity system, I think is so cool. Yeah. Um the like you just said, the way they incentivize the exploration and completion and you know, the music is still incredible. Of course, the, yeah. You know, I mean like it's it's great. If you're a Xenoblade fan, like it is required playing. I will say, like some of the stuff for Xenoblade I think is can be enjoyed fairly standalone including the base game i think you can enjoy xenoblade 3 and hop into it without playing one or two necessarily there are a few little ties but for the most part you can enjoy xenoblade 3 without playing one or two future redeemed you really should play one and two before playing future redeemed it really pays off (laughs) one and two not only does it pay off but if you haven't played either of the games i'm sure you're going to be quite lost in the sauce yeah because of how because of how interwoven the characters are and because how much everything kind of, you know, is intertwined. Uh, if you haven't played, even if you haven't played one of the games, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of stuff. You're just going to be scratching your head with like, I, I have no clue what's going on, but I assume it has something to do with something that's come before. And, you know, we would like you to enjoy this game as much as possible. So just go ahead and play through the entirety of the Xenoblade Saga. Just go ahead and do that. Yeah, you got a few hundred hours laying around, right? <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> if, you, if you have played, chances are you've already downloaded and played Future Redeemed. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a really, really good piece of DLC. And uh, it's going to have some... It, the the other DLC, the other expansions, you know, stuff like the Mario Kart Booster Course Pass, and it's going to have some stiff competition this year. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. You been playing anything else? Yes, I did. You know, we talked last week uh, with Matt, and I told him that uh, I'd been playing Mario RPG. I told him that last weekend I was planning on 100%ing it. I did just that, so really looking forward to our full review later on in the show. Like I said, I played a Highland song, played a little bit more Risk of Rain Returns. Other than that, uh, hasn't been too, too much that I can speak on yet, but uh, but really, really excited to to hear more about this Dredge game that you've been mm. playing, my friend. Yes, yes, indeed. I, uh, you mentioned, you know, we're in Golden Ace's season. It's yep. December, um, you know, and I, I really wanted to make sure that I had put some hands on some of these critically acclaimed, you know, games. I'm, you know, it's impossible for anybody to play everything, but, um, you know, I, I was like, I saw dredge was on sale, not a huge discount, but I think it was like, I think it's normally 25. It was on sale for like 18. I was like, let me just get this in here. I'm never going to have more time than now to finally play dredge. So I did played a whole bunch of it. Uh, turns out people are right. It's really good. And, uh, we're going to tell you all about it in this week's indie showcase. So Seth, Dredge. You know, I feel Dredge. like, you know, you you see a title like that and I immediately think of, it just gives me the same vibe as something like, you know, Doom or Wolfenstein, you know, 
games of that ilk from from years past and i don't know this is a game that sparky specifically uh one of our you know amazing community members who joined me a couple weeks ago on the show to talk about okinawa rush this is another game that he's been trying to get us to play for for quite some time i'm about to to play it myself here soon but this is a game that's been on our radar for some time so i'm really interested to hear more about about it, my friend, because in everything that I've seen and all the trailers, the media, I just kind of see almost Wind Waker-esque, this little boat that you travel around big, you know, big bodies of water on. But it's I've always been unable to get a real grasp of the gameplay and what the game actually is. So I'm excited to talk to you about it. Yeah, I mean, it does have like it is, you know, sort of open sea. Um you know, uh, traveling to various islands and things in a boat. It's not super dissimilar to Wind Waker. It's a lot more involved than Wind Waker, though. So um, in Dredge, you play as this nameless, faceless fisherman character who um, kind of winds up uh, in their travels in this town. Creepy faceless or just anonymous? Just like anonymous. Yeah, just no, you know, just no real, like, uh, backstory or personality to them. There is a little bit, like... There's some stuff that's maybe implied. The game is very Lovecraftian and I'll See, get that's, to that. that. That's what I was going to say, yeah. because in all the stuff that I've seen, you know, I talked about not being able to get a real hook for the gameplay, but this was actually a game that you and I kind of considered for October for a spooky indie showcase, because like you said, Lovecraftian, the game does kind of give off those kind of vibes. So when you said like faceless fishermen, I'm thinking, you know, like faceless as in, you know, kill it with fire. Yeah. No, it's not, you know, it's not literally, he's just like this anonymous fisherman. Um, and there's like, again, there's some stuff that you can sort of extrapolate. The game's got a couple of different endings that sort of leave you kind of with some implications of like what, you know, what, what might be going on with the main character. Um, which is interesting, but um, it's it's really not the point. The the point of the game is like this um, this loop. The game has got a really good sort of gameplay loop. This fisherman winds up in this town called a uh, Greater Morrow, which is like this archipelago sort of you know coastal um, you know sort of island town kind of. It feels like a sort of Stephen King like Maine you know sort of Delaware vibe. The entire thing and. Um, you're a fisherman, you uh, wind up getting your boat repaired there, you uh, have a little bit of a debt to the town who, like, kind of foot the bill for you, and when the game starts, you have to, like, go out into the sea and catch some fish to repay your debt to them. Um, Kind of, you know, maybe a little light Animal Crossing, but really it's just to get you out on the water and explore the game's mechanics. So, you're a fisherman, so, like, the, you know, the bulk of your time in this game is going to be spent fishing. Um, however, it isn't too long before you realize that there's a little bit more going on with dredge than it just being like a simple sort of like dreary, you know, coastal fishing sort of thing, because at night there is a kind of like sanity mechanic um the game has like a full day night cycle when you move the boat um the time like kind of progresses uh, really oh, rapidly actually. Okay. okay. Um, and when it gets to a certain, I think seven or 8 PM when night kind of falls, you'll see this eyeball 
icon on the in-game clock and your character uh, has some strange and interesting things happen to them that can, depending on how late you stay up um, and how long you go without sleeping, can progress in severity. So this can range from maybe, you know, you're picking up normal like squids and fish and rays and stuff like that. But maybe every so often you're picking up like a weird glowing one or one that has like extra eyeballs or one that like looks like a little otherworldly. <laughs> you you, you know? can catch the three eyed Simpson fish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe you're catching like some three eyed Simpson fish in there and you're kind of like, what's going on? You know, and you, you're selling your fish and, um, and there's like a, you know, the, the fish market guy who's taking an interest in this stuff as well. Um, and then the hallucinations and like the sort of sanity effects can range in a bunch of different ways though. And again, can get way more severe and there's definitely like an undercurrent. There's something going on. Um, and you're never quite sure if what you're seeing is kind of like actually realized or if it's like your character is going crazy, you know, sort of thing. Okay. Um, so the obvious question at this point, and I would imagine it's obvious to the point where you probably already figure where I'm going, mm. but with these sanity effects, like, does it kind of give the same vibes as a certain GameCube cult classic? Well, it doesn't go like, um, it doesn't do like the full, like in Eternal Darkness, they do stuff like, you know, um, they, they do like some fourth wall breaky, you yeah. know, stuff. They don't really do that here, but it affects the gameplay more than anything else. So a good example of this, the first time I had played the game, um, it was late at night and I was trying to make my way back to greater Morrow and offload whatever it was that I had. And I saw another ship kind of in the distance. And I was like, Oh, this is cool. Like that might be like a trader ship or something like that. Maybe I can just offload my stuff there. I get close to them. Not a ship, not a ship at all, but a giant like monstrous fish that then knocked into my ship and did damage <laughs> to my hull. Um, so that's, that's like a whole thing. And, you know, it could be things like maybe rocks will kind of come out of nowhere, you know, if you're not getting enough sleep and you have like the, the sort of, uh, sanity effects going on. Um, but as in at like night, spawn right in front of you as you're trying yeah. to steer the ship. Yeah. Like they'll sometimes, and, and there's like kind of an effect to it. Like it kind of has like a little bit of a highlight to it. You, um, you have to equip your ship with like lights in order to see a good distance in front of you at night. And you can upgrade these of course, and get like much better lights and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, like it, like you will have rocks kind of pop up in front of you and you have to like be quick on your feet to navigate around them. Um, otherwise you're going to do some serious damage to your ship that is going to have to be repaired, which is expensive. Um, so there's all that kind of stuff going on. So it definitely has like a spooky Lovecraftian vibe. The story, the, the game does have like a story setup. You wind up meeting this guy who's just called the collector. He lives on this Island called Blackstone Island, um, kind of in like this house there, this like mansion there. And you don't really know what his, you don't really know what his intentions are, mm -hmm. but he recruits you to find these like ancient relics that are scattered all throughout the world of dredge, all these different Island structures. The game's got a fairly decently sized, um, little open world to it. Good. Um, so there's, there's a, uh, there's some stuff to explore there. 
But um, once you upgrade your engines and stuff, you can get around it fairly quickly. But um, he recruits you to find these relics. And that's kind of like the main story thrust. Um, that's like kind of how you're going to, you know, whatever, reach the credits and blah, blah, blah. There's side missions and stuff you can do. Um, <laughs> that's how and, you know you actually, you know, beat the game. Not that that matters, yeah, right? That's how you complete the game. Yeah. But there, there's a bunch of side missions you can do too and characters that you can meet and uh, actually like, you know, optional content and little pathways you can take as well. Um, and there's even like some side content you're going to kind of have to do in order to, for example, um, one of the first things you have to do in order to access a relic, there's like a loose rock structure that needs to be destroyed. So you have to do a little side quest chain with these two brothers who give you explosives to where now I can, you know, take care of the rocks, maybe like a little Metroidvania flavor to it. You're unlocking new abilities and powers that open up more of the map, you know? Okay. Um, so kind of neat. Um, but yeah, like the, the, the thrust of the gameplay is like, you're going out, you're getting fish, you're trying to upgrade your ship, um, to make it more viable for you to go out and last longer and catch even more fish and, you know, get to the heart of whatever weird Lovecraftian junk is going on, (laughs) um, in, in between it all. Uh, the the one thing that I have heard most about the gameplay is you are catching a lot of fish. That's a big part of the loop. You catch the fish, you go back, you sell your hoard, rinse, repeat. Um, in this case, literally. But the act of catching fish, like, is it a like a fishing mini game, or what actually entails? Like, what is what does catching fish look like from a gameplay perspective? It's interesting. Um, so when you when you go to catch a fish or dredge something, you know, like the title implies. Hey, that's um, the title of the game. That's the, that's the, he said the thing. You can catch <laughs> fish, but you can also dredge up like materials. So wood, cotton, scrap metal, things that you're going to use to actually upgrade your ship. Um, you can also find like valuables yeah. from like shipwrecks. I've, I've, I've typically found that most cotton fields exist underneath the ocean as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like little bolts of cotton that you use and you can uh, upgrade your ship with those. Um, you'll find shipwrecks that you can find like, you know, jewelry and stuff and you can sell them to, you know, a treasure sort of collector. Um, you can even find like, um, like aesthetic stuff like flags and like paints to, uh, to customize the way your ship looks which is kind of neat. So you can find stuff like that too. But the actual act of fishing is you find there are like very obvious spots in the water where you can see fish that are ready to be fished. And um, you stop, you drop your line or your trawl or whatever it is. And it begins this game where you either have to like time out button presses, almost like a rhythm game a little bit, Um, as these like kind of circles are moving in a circular pattern into a certain placement, it's kind of hard to describe. Um, I'm getting kind of like a rhythm heaven thing. Is that accurate? It's, it's like, um, I'm trying to think of like something to compare it to. Like if you imagine like a circular track that has like little dots on it that are moving almost like maybe the kingdom hearts, uh, melody of memories or something. Well, no, like it's. Like it's a literal, like it doesn't go into like another, you know, like a, like another screen or something. It's just right there. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's very simple. It's just a little circle. And, um, and you're just having to time button presses, 
into like a like a green you know section of that circle um i don't know it's hard to describe weirdly hard to describe and then there's like, simple like a warrior mini game or something real simple real simple like one button press you know and you're just timing it out that's all you're doing um and then when you're doing like the the actual dredging it's a little bit more interesting because uh the 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 circular track has like a few different layers to it so you have to uh hit the y button to like go you know um on different lanes of the track and basically like stay on it as long as possible without falling into any little pits um but again this isn't happening like separately from the game it's just like almost a little mini game that happens like a little fishing mini game that happens whenever you go to do that so yeah i don't know it's really straightforward but it's like simple satisfying it doesn't need to be anything more you know than that um it works like it just kind of works Obviously, I know there's more than one type of thing that you're going to be catching is the little mini game, little micro game. Does it change up at all throughout the course of the game? Does it become even a little bit more complex depending on what you're fishing up or regardless if it's a shrimp or a shark? It's still that exact same uh, circle that you're trying to time button presses around. Yeah, the... um. There, it'll be a little bit different depending on what it is you're catching. And then like, there will also be times when you're catching something that is, um, like a new, like a new trophy size, like, like the biggest that you've ever caught before. Um, the, the markers will be yellow rather than green. So that's kind of nice too. Um, there's like an in-game kind of like little journal encyclopedia that, you know, marks and measures all of that, which is neat. Um, so there's like a kind of collection aspect to it too. You want to catch all the fish. You want to see everything, right? Yeah. Um, you also, you know, the game's quite complex. Like you can get like a uh, crab pots, you know, that you can lay down. Those can also be upgraded. You know, um, you can find like some weird and crazy crabs. You can, uh, have a trawl net that you sort of drag behind you which will catch fish automatically. And there are certain fish that can only be captured that way, which is kind of neat. Um, so like there's, there's a few different ways to, uh, to catch the fish. And there's even like some kind of supernatural ability elements that the collector gives you every time you progress the main story and give a relic (laughs) to the collector. Uh, What? I'm sorry. I just, you sound like super nuts. For some reason, again, this is just me showing my age. I just immediately flash back to this old Sesame Street skit with Bert and Ernie, where, where Ernie just says, here, fishy, 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 and the fish just flies into the boat. So... I'm sorry, that's just me, but you like supernaturally catching fish. And for some reason, for some dumb reason, that was the first thing that my mind went to. It's just <laughs> Ernie from Sesame Street, like, here, fishy, fishy. And all these fish just jumping into his boat. I apologize. Let it, I'm, I'm an idiot. I know. I know. <laughs> all good. Well, the, the, the collector will give you like... He he has like this book again. This is very like Lovecraftian, where yeah. you give him you give him a relic, and he gives you like a new ability. And these are kind of like quality of life things. So one of them like supernaturally makes your engine go faster, but you can't just like hammer on and like it's it's like a sprint. Like you you have to manage how long you use it, otherwise your engine can catch fire. Another one is kind of like a fast travel you know, sort of thing. Nice. Um, so the game kind of like works stuff like that in another one you get kind of is like a ward. Like if you have like a particularly nasty, 
um, antagonistic force coming after you, you can sort of use that to keep it off of you if you're just trying to get like some fishing done. So some quality of life stuff that the collector gives you. But yeah, I mean, the core loop is all about upgrading your ship, making things easier to catch, making things possible to catch because there are certain implements and like uh, rod types that you have to upgrade into before you can catch certain types of fish, like deep sea fish, you know, like in the beginning of the game, you can catch like some more surface level stuff, but later on yeah. you're able to kind of get into some, they, they call them abyssal and hadal oh, uh, fish. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, the the abyss level of the ocean. Like, if you're going to have something kind of creepy or Lovecraftian in this time, yeah, you had to throw in like some some goblin shark, some sperm whale, like some real, yeah. like some lantern fish, some real like horrors of the deep. Uh, I'm interested, like, how expansive is the the fish opedia in this game? Like, how many different fish it's are a in dredge? A lot. Yeah, it's it's a lot. There's there's a lot of different. Uh, a lot of different fish in the encyclopedia. There is, I'm actually looking at it right now, 151. No kidding. Um, wow. Yeah. That was a lot bigger than I was expecting it to be. That was yeah, a lot so, more than I was expecting. 151. You said 151? Yeah. Yeah. Unique fish. So, so gen one of dredge, you know, the, so. the Pokedex. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they have like all the different distinctions here. Um, you can even see like, where you've caught them at what depth you caught them at and stuff how you caught them was it day or night how much are they valued at blah 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 you've got some exotic you know kind of fish that you can catch and then like the creepy lovecrafty ones are called aberrations oh um, nice that you can uh that you can catch so the aberrations are kind of like usually um, they're aberrations of other fish so you can catch an eel but maybe you'll also find a barbed eel you know, you can catch a, a flounder, but you might also catch a riddled flounder, which has like these weird like holes in it. Um, you know, so there's some like you can catch a crab, but maybe you find a cerebral crab that has this big blue brain on it, you know. And do those um, count as different fish in the yeah. in the okay. Yeah, they're different fish and um and they're they're worth more as well. They uh, the have the evolved form in the Pokemon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so pretty cool. Um, that that stuff is all is all neat. You've got you know your your uh, pursuits, which is like your uh, sort of like uh, quest tracker. Mm -hmm. um, there's a ton of different quests and stuff you can do in the game, little side quests and things like that. And yeah, it's it's just satisfying and like addictive. Like the loop of it makes it pretty hard to put down. I will say um, something that really, until I got to the point of the game where I felt a little bit more comfortable, it can be pretty intimidating when you first jump in this game. Um, when you first jump in, it can feel a little much like, oh my God, like I have to worry about all this stuff. And then like when the sun goes down, I have like all this stuff coming after me. And this, this feels like a bit much, this feels a bit oppressive, you know? Um, but you can, if, if you, if you do absolutely hate that stuff, the game does have a passive mode that you can turn on. Um, when passive mode is enabled, monsters will not target the player and scary random events will not spawn. The game says, so there you go. Fair enough. 
I, I mean, I don't think I would ever play the game with that, but I like I do appreciate if somebody just wants to play a more cozy kind of laid back fishing yeah. sim or something that you don't have to necessarily deal with all the creepy stuff. If you really don't want to me, I kind of like that. I think it adds a lot of spice and a lot of flavor to the game. But, you know, if you just want to go in, if you're just a, a connoisseur of virtual fishing and that's just what you want to do, you know, fair enough. That's like. Giving you the option, that's, that's something I will always praise developers for, is things that they allow you to do or not do. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, accessibility options. Um, you can change, like, you know, whenever, like, uh, you know, like in a Zelda game or something, like if there's an emphasis on a word, it's like colored, you know, you can change that if you want. You can change the colors of like positive or negative or important emphasis things, which is neat for people who have like color blindness and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do things like uh, alter the text speed, the duration of pop-ups that happen. Uh, there's even a relaxed fishing mode. So if you have a problem with the fishing mini game, you can actually just turn it off. Um, you can actually just kind of like, uh, you know, make it a lot easier for yourself, um, which is neat. You know, um, it's, it's cool. They have that kind of stuff in there for players and the game runs really well, um, on switch. It looks great. I love the art style. It has this kind of like, reminds me of firewatch, like the, uh, okay. The, the sort of like soft, um, especially the sunsets remind me a lot of firewatch, just like gorgeous, you know, sunsets kind of washing over the, the environment and like the sort of polygonal, but like, it's, it's like somewhere between polygonal and photo real, um, kind of like firewatch was, it's kind of hard to describe, but the game kind of nails that. And, um, there's like 2d kind of character art portraits that remind me a little bit of like dishonored. Um, okay. So yeah, I don't know. Like I, I really, I really like the way the game looks and runs uh, on Switch. Weirdly enough, there's an option in the options menu to disable reflections in the water, which they say improves performance, but like I never had any performance issues to begin with, so I don't really know why that's even in there, but that's fine. It's in there. I don't know. Maybe like it's, I'm sure it's one of those things where as developers, they notice little things. Like they notice little performance yeah. things. So I guess, you know, they, they threw that in there as kind of a, uh, like, you know, cloud games, you've got your performance mode and you've got your, you know, your, your pretty mode or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. so like I can see from their, from their standpoint, why they might feel the need to put that in. But if you say you didn't really see any performance dips or, or any technical issues, then runs great. Nice. Yeah. No, it runs great. It it runs really well, and it looks looks great. The soundtrack is good. Um, I was going to ask you about that, yeah, because obviously yeah. I know you're you're big on video game music. So, like, well, what's the type of soundtrack that's going on here? I assume there's maybe even different, you know, soundtracks for day and night for for when stuff gets, you know, maybe a little bit more insane, and and that meter starts to dip a little bit can definitely get kind of brooding. Yeah. And it, and it can get a little intense too. Cause they, uh, they also make some use of like the HD rumble. So, Oh, um, nice. That's good. It, I love it when things do that. I do too. Yeah. So if something is like kind of on your tail, 
you'll know it because like your character's heart kind of starts beating and you can kind of feel it with the rumble. Um, which is cool. It's a nice little touch. And then obviously if you knock into something or something knocks into you, you're going to feel it with the rumble as well. So that's pretty cool. I, I, uh, you know, that, that's a, a good effect. They make good use of that. And, um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's, it's just like a really well put together package with like a really good loop to it. Um, you know, lots of customization, lots of stuff to do. Um, you'll probably get through the thing. You know, if you, if you rush it, if you mainline it, you could probably get through it in like eight hours. I think okay. most people will take between 10 and 15, um, especially if you're doing like some of the side stuff. I think most people will take about that long to do it. Um, there's also DLC, which That's I wanted I was to hit. say. We, uh, yeah. yeah, we, we teased that the dreads just released some wintry themed DLC specifically a couple weeks ago on the 18th of November, I believe they released a new DLC content called the pale reach. That's what they're yeah. calling it. The pale reach is the first like actual expansion, uh, to the game. The, they do have like this, it's called like the Blackstone key, which, uh, which kind of annoyed me because like, I thought that was also like a DLC expansion, especially considering it was like five bucks. Um, and the pale reach is only five ninety nine. Yeah. So I was like, Blackstone key must also be like a good size expansion too. What it actually is, is you go to Blackstone Island where the collector is and there's like a workshop there that's locked. And when I first got there, I was like, Oh, okay. Like, um, like I'll, I'll be able to unlock that later on in the game. No, you have to have the DLC to unlock that. And it gives you like some, cosmetic like equipment or something like that so <laughs> kind of dumb um you can get a deluxe edition that comes with the blackstone key dlc included but the pale reach just came out i haven't played it yet um i'm going to i um i picked it up i'm gonna play it it's uh said to offer about another few hours of content some new fish a new locale and you can access it at any point during the game so you don't have to have finished the game in order to get there so yeah yeah, nice. I hope they continue to, you know, expand on this game. Uh, obviously, it's been getting a lot of praise and uh, a lot of acclaim. So I hope we continue to, I hope they just continue to make the map bigger, add more fish, just do more of what people love. Weirdly enough, weirdly enough, the game itself, as of this episode going live, the, the week in this episode is going live. The game is, the digital deluxe version of the game is currently 25% off. So the yeah. base game is normally twenty four ninety nine, and the Blackstone Key quote-unquote DLC is four ninety nine. like Seth said. Right now, if you pick it up this weekend as you're listening to this episode, uh, the digital deluxe version is 25% off. So the game plus the Blackstone Key DLC is $20.24. So right now you can get it both for less than, you can get the, the game and the Blackstone Key for less than the price of the full game right now. Yeah, yeah, it's it's worth it. It's, it's really cool. Um, if you're somebody who likes like the sort of, um, you know, there, there's maybe a little management sim element to it. Something yeah. I should have said. Um, you have to, when it comes to upgrading your ship, uh, there's a little bit of inventory management that happens too. So you have like a sort of grid that can be upgraded. You've got, you know, different rods and nets and lights and engines. Um, and that can be expanded and your hull can be expanded as well. Stuff like that. 
Um, so that's, that's all stuff to kind of keep in mind to inventory management and stuff like this. So when you come into the game, it can feel intimidating. You can feel like there's a lot of systems going on. And then like, in addition to there being a lot of systems going on, uh, there's this kind of oppressive nature. The game is constantly sort of pushing you out of your comfort zone. But if you kind of allow it, if you kind of like allow yourself to go along with where the game is going, um, there's some really neat, you know, stuff in here. Um, I really liked it. It's really good. I can see why it got all the, all the praise it did. Yeah. Nice. Well, again, that, uh, dredge is available right now on the Nintendo switch eShop, the Blackstone key DLC, the brand new pale reach DLC. They're all available right now. Again, uh, the game in the Blackstone key digital deluxe version of the game is 25% off. As of right now, there's no, uh, no discount on the brand new DLC, but certainly sounds like it's, it's worth the money. It is. Yeah, definitely check it out. I would love to talk with y'all about it. This is a really fun and interesting. I know a lot of people like Sparky, you know, he's probably sitting here listening to this right now. Like, come on, guys, I played this months ago. Um, (laughs) But uh, I'm glad we finally got to it um, because it's it's really good. It's definitely the kind of thing where, uh, you know, we start putting together the Golden Aces. This this was worthy of uh, being in consideration for sure. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to be playing it here very shortly myself. Very much looking forward to that. But like Seth said, we'd very much like to hear what you guys think. Make sure to reach out to us uh, on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, join us over in the Discord. I'm sure, especially now that this episode's out, Sparky is going to be like, yes, Dredge, come Finally. here. You know, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know what? Uh, not even for the segue. But when you started talking about kind of like the sanity effects and some of this stuff, I did very briefly kind of get like a flashback, like a memory of the scarecrow sections from Batman Arkham Asylum. Mm, yep. 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 That's for sure. Yeah. The sanity scarecrow stuff. Yeah, that's for sure. We did. You know, those games are finally on switch now. They are Arkham Asylum, Arkham City again on a Nintendo console and Arkham Knight just dropped. You can get the trilogy for $59.99. You can get the games individually if you want, but regardless, one of the most acclaimed superhero trilogies, honestly, the most acclaimed superhero game trilogy uh, of all time is now available on the Nintendo switch. Certainly cause for, uh, excitement and you know we're big superhero fans seth especially is a huge batman fan and you know a monumentous occasion like this deserves a special celebration my friend it does you know we were thinking about you know we finally got um you know these games here on nintendo switch there are some other batman games though throughout nintendo history that are certainly worth shouting out the non you know, Arkham Rocksteady Arkham trilogy games that are, that are kind of worth shouting out, taking a look back at the Cape Crusaders history in Nintendo. So this week in the top five, we are talking about the top five Batman games in Nintendo history. All right, Eric, the top five Batman games in Nintendo history. What are the rules? Well, for this, we did consider any game in which the Dark Knight is a playable character, not just a game that he might be in in some type of facsimile, a character uh, 
Batman must be playable in some form or fashion. Doesn't necessarily need to be a Batman titled game as long as you can get your hands on the bat. Uh, and again, no facsimiles, no proxies, no Batman parodies. It had to be the actual, honest to goodness, genuine article himself, Batman. So any game throughout Nintendo history in which you can take control of the one and only Dark Knight was fair game, even if it was through DLC. Right. Yeah. And we also, um, you know, just a quick disclaimer, the Arkham series is fairly objectively the greatest you know, Batman video games, the ones that just came out on switch. We're not talking about those here in this list, uh, in particular, um, specifically because we have no clue how they play yet on the Nintendo switch. Yeah. And we'll, we'll find that out. Arkham city of course was on Wii U and it's a great version on Wii U, but that alone was not enough to, uh, you know, to, to get a spot on the list. Um, and we're hoping that the Arkham trilogy on switch is the new definitive way to play them on Nintendo consoles. We'll see. However, (laughs) you can't see (laughs) me, but I've got my hands in a, in a prayer motion. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, however, going into our number five, I did want to shout out the sort of, uh, undersung, Arkham game, the game that everybody wants to forget about, the game that uh, everybody wants to pretend like didn't happen. Um, Our number five is Batman Arkham Origins, which did release on Wii U, and as a matter of fact, had a other Batman Arkham Origins game called Batman Arkham Origins Blackgate on the 3DS, both really good. Hands up, who knew that there was a Batman Arkham game on the 3DS? Hands up. No, you're all lying. All of you are lying. It's a good game. (laughs) Like, genuinely, I think Arkham Origins is particularly underrated. Um, You know, I I think that anytime you take, like, a different developer um, to, like, a beloved series, like the Batman Arkham series, people are going to come into it with furrowed brows. Same thing happened with, like, Bioshock 2, with Fallout New Vegas, you know, stuff like that. But Arkham Origins is really good. And, you know, another big thing with that, of course, uh, Kevin Conroy wasn't in that game. It was Roger Craig Smith. Um, uh, Mark Hamill wasn't Joker in that game. It was Troy Baker, actually. Um, But the game itself is really good, really solid. It has some great boss fights. Um, The whole game is set during, like, Christmas time. And uh, that game did appear on Wii U. And then when it comes to Blackgate, um, that was sort of a, like side-scrolling beat-em-up metroidvania sort of thing um which was really cool and interesting and like i don't know i really dug it i really liked the kind of one-two punch of batman arkham origins that we got on wii u and 3ds underrated yeah the the 3ds version of batman arkham origins was done by a studio called armature studio who actually did uh the playstation vita port of the middle gear solid hd collection uh a game that we may be talking about a little bit later they did the playstation 4 and playstation vita port of the unfinished swan uh port of the borderlands handsome Claw. like this is basically what this studio does is ports but blackgate was like a fairly like it wasn't just a copy and paste job from batman arkham origins yeah, no, they, they, it was a, a whole new thing. Um, really neat, man. I don't know. They, uh, they did a good job with it and, uh, they, they could have just made like a, 
a dumb, like, low-res version of what was there before, or they could have made it something entirely different, and they, they chose to make it something entirely different. And I respect them for it. Um, so yeah, Batman Arkham Origins, underrated, you should play it. I imagine you can get both of those games for fairly cheap, because again, nobody played them. And, um, <laughs> you, you should, they're, they're good people. They, they want the, the, the non rock steady Arkham erasure is real. They want you to forget that Arkham origins ever happened, but I won't forget. It's a good game. Yeah. And for those of you out there that are thinking is like, well, okay, we just got the Arkham trilogy. We got Arkham Asylum, Arkham city and Arkham, uh, and Arkham Knight. Mm-hmm. But what about Arkham origins? Well, there's our answer for you all. Granted, yes, you'll have to go to the previous generation to play it. Uh, but yeah, if you can if you can pick it up, definitely very worthy versions of those games. And I'd be very interested to, to try. I didn't actually get to try the uh, the 3DS version of that game because I admittedly, I just kind of assumed that because it was a 3DS handheld port of uh, of a game series that was really pushing the, the consoles that it was on, I wasn't expecting big things. I was mistaken. No, it's it's really cool. I mean, the, the setup for Batman Arkham Origins, it's like that Batman Year One thing. It's like early on in his career. And Black Mask puts out basically an APB of all the villains to try to assassinate him. Like, yeah. it's a cool setup on Christmas, you know? So, like... It uses the same general map as like Arkham City, but it's all decked out in like Christmas lights. It's it's really it's it's a cool game, man. Y'all should play. I it. like it. I like it. It's absolutely a Christmas game. If you're looking for a Christmas game to play, Arkham Origins is is really good. I actually got the like the two hundred fifty dollar uh, special edition when it came out. It's got this really cool like Joker statue, and well, I'm sorry, it's got this really cool black. I'm sorry. Spoilers. I apologize, folks. Uh, <laughs> but it's got this really cool black mask statue with uh, an alternate head of some character. There's no way of knowing who it could be. No way of knowing. Uh, no way of knowing who it could be. But uh, they actually, people actually figured that out well before the game even came out, just like they did with Arkham Knight. It's but, obvious. Yeah, it's but, obvious. But but I digress. You know, uh, incredibly, incredibly heavily foreshadowed plot twists aside, the Arkham series is uniformly really good. And don't forget that Arkham Origins does already exist on Nintendo platforms. Go ahead and check it out. But weirdly enough, staying with the Wii U for a second, with a console that had so few games on it, we're actually shouting out two back-to-back here in this week's top five. Our number four is Injustice. God's Among Us on the Great Wii game. U. Great yeah. game. Gen- genuinely really, really good. And Justice was such a great get for NetherRealm Studios because after Mortal Kombat and DC Universe mashed up, it didn't, you know, it didn't quite work out as well. However, it was clear that there was still something there. And after Mortal Kombat 9, the Mortal Kombat reboot from 2011, Ed Boon and team got to work on an actual proper DC-centric fighting game that would turn out to be Injustice Gods Among Us. And even just beyond the game itself, it wound up kind of becoming 
one of the most famous kind of Elseworlds stories in the modern DC era. It's become an incredibly famous story that begins with the Joker tricking Superman into killing Lois Lane and his unborn child and Superman essentially becoming like just going full Vladimir Putin on the entire world. Uh, but really, really cool Elseworld story that has all of your favorite DC heroes in it. It's got Superman, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Catwoman, you know, Deadshot. But of course, the man of the hour, the man we're all here to talk about is, of course, Batman's playable and voiced by the amazing Kevin Conroy, which mm-hmm. just makes this appearance all the better. Superman, of course, voiced by uh, Tim Daly, just full on BTAS and STAS. Uh, goodness going on in the injustice despite the fairly dark subject matter but if you like fighting games it's a really really interesting really unique uh, take on on the modern fighting game instead of having four like two punch and two kick buttons you've got like a low attack a heavy attack kind of a bounce attack and then the other attack button is your specific power or ability that each character is different. Like Hawkgirl can fly, obviously. Uh, Superman has a power-up move. But for Batman, he actually has these three little bat drones that he can summon, that he can use to just absolutely make his combos completely stupid. Batman's already like a top-tier character in that game already, which, I mean, makes sense. I'm Batman and all that. Uh, but yeah, if you if you like fighting games and you like DC, Injustice really is a must play. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's great, it's great, and it's cool that that came out on Wii U. It's a shame that we don't have like um, Injustice Two, you know, yeah. on a Nintendo platform. Yeah, we have gotten, you know, we did get uh, Mortal Kombat Eleven in, you know, some facsimile, like a noticeable version of that game, and Injustice. Two wasn't really that far removed from the technical necessities of of Mortal Kombat 11. We could have gotten Injustice 2 on a Nintendo uh, console, would have been the Nintendo Switch. It stinks that that didn't happen, but at least we got the first one. And of course, because Batman is as popular as he is, they wound up releasing like a dozen costumes as DLC. So you can get like the, the Batman Begins costume. I'm pretty sure there was the uh, uh, Batman uh, Red Sun costume. There mm. were a ton of different kinds. Co- there was actually, uh, I'm pretty sure there was a, a Batman, a Yellow Lantern Batman costume. Right. There was all kinds of cool stuff that you could get for the bat. Nice. Really cool. Well, going into our number three, you know, we, we did want to make sure that we took a look back at, you know, the earlier days of Nintendo history and, you know, Batman's been around for a long time. And so oh, yes. <laughs> Batman video games have also been around for a long time. So we definitely wanted to dig up something from the past one that, um you know, I haven't played a lot of the, uh, the older Batman games, but one that I did spend some time with was the Adventures of Batman and Robin on Super Nintendo uh, coming in at our number three. I really loved this game when I was a kid. This is very much in line with Batman the Animated Series. They did a really good job of capturing that, like the visual stylings of it. 
See, that's um, the thing, man. Back when BTAS was at its height, you know, we all hold Batman the Animated Series in such reverence, and it's still one of, you know, considered one of the greatest animated series of all time. You know, you, you can take, you know, greatest superhero animated series. You can take greatest action animated series. Many consider it one of the greatest animated series of all time, and especially at the height of its popularity in the mid-'90s to get a really faithful, especially for that time, a very faithful video game kind of recreation on current consoles was just, it was like we, we ate it up. We couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, pretty faithful. It's pretty cool. And some of the boss fights are kind of neat too. Like you fight Joker on, um, uh, early in the game on these like roller coasters. He's like throwing grenades at you from a roller coaster. You fight Scarecrow like on the wings of a plane. Um, the game ends in like a boss rush where you fight like Penguin and Clayface and Man Bat and you know, it's pretty cool. It's pretty it's pretty neat. They even worked Riddler into there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and they, they have like, again, the visual style of it. If you think about how faithfully... Um, the say like Lion King and Aladdin and Jungle Book, those games kind of uh, yeah, faithfully recreated like the art styles of their, uh, you know, of their respective movies. This game is kind of that, but with Batman, the animated series. Um, if you look at the way this game animates and looks in motion, like they really nailed it. Um, so really cool, really cool little game on the Super Nintendo. I would love to see that re-released in some way. Yeah, Batman, you know, kind of ironically was was very much responsible for this idea that licensed games could actually be good again because unfortunately a very very toxic stigma started to develop around licensed games, but back in the Super Nintendo in the Sega Genesis era, like we were really spoiled for really good licensed games around the time. Like you mentioned, the Disney games were coming out. And uh, you know, like even the Spider-Man beat-em-ups around that time, which you had Maximum Carnage and Separation Anxiety. Those were cool. And then, of course, we had this, an actual good Batman the Animated Series video game that all of us Batman fans uh, and Kevin Conroy, you know, fanboys and fangirls could latch on to and play. The game itself wasn't, overly long as games like that tended to be but you know still really really special for for us that grew up with it and like shout outs to them for doing like some interesting things within the framework like the riddler stage of the game most of the it's a beat-em-up you know like a lot of uh batman games of that era were yeah but um the riddler stage just kind of turns into like a zelda game for a minute like it, you, you're the Riddler has you in this like maze sort of thing, this like kind of maze sequence, but like it's laid out like a Zelda dungeon, like like a classic Zelda dungeon with like the mini map and the rooms, and you got to find keys and fight interesting like chess piece enemies. It's really neat. They 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 were doing some stuff. They were cooking back there on the Super Nintendo. Oh yeah, uh, but but going into our number two, you know. There's so many reasons that Batman has endured as such a popular character for so long. Just his his undeniable cool factor, the fact that he is a normal person in and amongst, you know, demigods and, you know, even getting close to literal gods. The fact that he is some some version of a regular person, the fact that he has all these cool gadgets and but the stories, it's the stories that have kept us coming back for 
decades and his incredible rogues gallery and just the wealth of lore and the incredible depth of the narrative at play. So it was really great to see our number two telltale, a Batman series or Batman, a telltale series, basically, Uh, especially at the time, you know, because Telltale was absolutely cooking. They were on an absolute hot streak after stuff like, um, you know, uh, Walking Dead and uh, Game of Thrones and just everything that was coming out was was turning to gold for them. And they were like, yeah, let's do a superhero one. They turned to Batman and, well, it turned out number two on our list. So if that gives you any indication of how well it became. Yeah, like... The, the coolest thing about Batman, the telltale series, they did two seasons of it. Um, they did, you know, the, the first one and then the second season is called the enemy within. Yes. Um, and they're both really good. The, the thing that I love most about, uh, about this, and I always love it whenever we can kind of take a look at a well-worn franchise and give it a different spin when, whenever we can kind of like take concepts and characters that, you know, everybody is known for forever and we can put an honest to goodness, like, like new kind of like life into it. Um, I'm really into that. And the telltale Batman series, I think did that really, really well. Um, the, again, I don't want to spoil too much cause I think the less you know about this kind of stuff, the better, but Suffice it to say, the ways that the the ways that this game kind of swerves, you know, the ways that this game kind of goes left when you think it's going right, um, is really cool. the 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 yeah. ways that this game kind of like deviates from the traditional uh, Batman formula is like the best thing about it. Yeah, it definitely is its own Batman universe. They take a very unique spin on several of the characters and. Generally, I think for the better. I really like what they did with, you know, a lot of the the kind of classic Batman, you know, character gallery. I don't want to spoil too much about who or who might not pop up. Obviously, we know that the Bat himself is going to be there, and you can, you know, reasonably guess that you're probably going to see Alfred and a couple other characters. But some some little bit of surprises mixed in throughout there, and because it's a Telltale series, the amount of narrative depth the the wealth of the writing on hand and the the performance level of yeah. what's going on. Sure, I mean you've got, you know, your 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 Troy Bakers and, you know, your Laura Baileys and your Travis Willinghams who play here, but there's a very good cast, uh, you know, top to bottom in this game that really sell this as a truly special superhero story, an interactive superhero story, but ultimately at its heart it feels like just the best version of like a comic book visual novel. Yeah. So if you're keeping score, uh, Troy Baker has appeared on our list, both as Batman and Joker. Um, <laughs> so that, that is a, that is a thing. Um, yeah. Great. You know, all-star cast and performances and even like the way that if you're a fan of telltale games, the way they've worked kind of like telltale staple actors like Dave Finoy, who plays Lee in the walking dead plays mm-hmm. Lucius Fox in this, um, you know, stuff like that. Aaron Yvette plays Vicky Vale in this. You mentioned like, yeah, Laura Bailey, Travis Willingham are in this. Um, Falcone is played by Richard McGonagall who plays Sully in uncharted, you know, um, there's some really good, 
you know, voice talent in here. And they also kind of like, they, they kind of dig into the well of like Batman's rogues, uh, rogues gallery. It's not all the usual suspects, which I like. So, yeah, yeah, it's really, really good. And, uh, we talked about dredge currently being on sale, 25% off. Uh, also this weekend, if you're listening to this episode, the weekend it comes out, both of the Batman Telltale games are currently on sale for 50% off. So if you want to check those out, you can get both of them for 15 bucks. And that is about as good a deal as like, that's about as good a value as I could recommend to somebody. Absolutely pick those games up. If you are a fan of good stories, of good writing, because they are Telltale games, they're not necessarily gameplay intensive. Uh, but if you know what the Telltale games are, you know what you're getting into. This is not you know, a, a very layered gameplay experience. It's more about the choices that you make along the way. You know, it's the friends we made along the way. But again... <laughs> just in terms of, of, of narrative strength and the performances at play here and the writing it's, it's absolutely top notch in each of those categories. Yeah. Agreed. Well, before we reveal our number one pick, do we have some honorable mentions? We do. There's turns out there's been more than just those games that have appeared on Nintendo consoles over the past several decades. I mean, Batman has been around longer. Batman's been around decades before there was even a Nintendo Entertainment System. So, uh, but speaking of the Nintendo Entertainment System, did want to shout out the Sunsoft Batman game from the NES based off the eight, uh, 1989 Michael Keaton movie. Uh, didn't, you know, couldn't put it on the list proper. I never personally had the opportunity to play the game, Yeah, but you know, I I do understand that there is a lot of love out there for that title. And I hope, you know, maybe with the Batman Arkham franchise jumping, maybe they, maybe Nintendo can, can do something with DC to get it on NSO. Who knows? Yeah. You know, it couldn't make the list properly, but I do. I've always had a soft spot for, for DCUO, DC universe online. Um, when that game came out on, on PS3, I played a ton of it. My cousin and I played a whole (laughs) bunch of it. I used to be really into MMOs. I'm a huge fan of world of Warcraft, you know, from back in the day and stuff. So, uh, the concept of the, the, the DC universe having an MMO, um, was like mind blowing to me. I've always loved DC. Um, you know, despite, everything that I loved as a, as a child sort of being ruined in the modern age, DC included, (laughs) um, you know, uh, I, I still am always going to love the DC universe and DC universe online is one of my favorite MMOs and it is on Nintendo switch now free to play. Yes. And if you don't think that I've been downloading it while we've been recording this top five, (laughs) you would be mistaken. (laughs) <laughs> you are sorely mistaken. <laughs> oh, that's so good. And you know what? Uh, uh, the explosion of MMOs right after World of Warcraft really started to to game. You know, City of Heroes came out, and yeah. I really almost, I really almost pulled the trigger on City of Heroes. I but played to a bunch me, of that too. Yeah. yeah, to me, that just always felt like you know, not Marvel, not DC. And then all of a sudden, DC came out with their own, and all of a sudden, I was like, oh. It's oh, great. Now it's on. 
Like, it's actually great. I'm kind of looking for, I'm just going to jump back into it for like a few hours and just see like how it's held up. The, the nice thing about it, if you guys are interested, again, it's free to play, download it on Switch and play it for free. Um, the nice thing is, is like this game was designed from the ground up for PS3. So they, they already had controllers in mind and the game kind of plays like a 3d brawler or something. Um, so it, it's not like an awkward transition from like PC to console. So yeah, really cool. I had to shout that out. Yeah. And again, you know, a couple games, a couple Batman games that have come out over the years, a couple more kind of BTAS inspired games like Batman Vengeance and Batman Rise of Sinsu, which are fine. They're fine. You know, harmless. They're fine. They're fine. They're harmless. Uh, I do have a little bit of a soft spot in my heart for the Batman Begins GameCube version. Same. Uh, yeah. I, I did really like the the fear mechanic in that game where you could make your opponents so afraid of you that they will actually see that horrific kind of demonic version of Batman that Joker very, uh, very briefly sees in the movie itself. So they actually worked that version of Batman into the game's mechanics a little bit. I thought that was kind of cool. So a little bit of a soft spot in my heart, but again, Batman begins on the GameCube is fine. Astounded that the dark Knight didn't get its own game. They're working you know, on it. They're working yeah. on it. They wanted up, uh, they wound up scrapping it, but there, there was a, uh, a dark Knight game in development. There was a, um, uh, a Gotham by Gaslight game yeah. that was in development too for a while. You can still find yep. footage of that online. Man, I wish they would have made that. Um, but yeah, really cool stuff, man. Uh, but moving into our number one, we shouldn't make them wait any longer. What could it be? <laughs> what could our number one be, Eric? Well, it's, possibly? it's we're, we're, we are cheating here a little bit. But honestly, when it comes to the breadth, the expansiveness of the Batman lore, we looked at all of the games and frankly, as goofy as it may be, I don't think anything, any game or series in Nintendo history has ever celebrated the bat, frankly, nearly as much as Lego has. Yeah. And like, hear us out because I know Lego Batman might be like a, a cop out to some but I would make the argument that unlike any other, you know, Lego is always so great about representing and really celebrating the franchises that they tackle in terms of playable characters and the little kind of like condensed stories and, and this, that, and the other. They've always been great about that. But Lego Batman in particular has really sort of like not only had its own little trilogy, but it also had animated series spinoffs, had its own movie, which itself had its own game. Like, I don't think there's another Lego, like, licensed IP that has had more, like, spun off of it than Lego Batman. Lego, like, there's, <laughs> like, Lego games of everything at this point. But Lego Batman really felt like this pillar this unshakable pillar that Lego could kind of always go back to this well, just this infinitely deep well that they could just keep going back to Batman, to the DC universe to keep releasing games. And they frankly have, but you know, as they were trying to experiment with other things like Harry Potter and, and pirates of the Caribbean, they kept coming back to Lego Batman. Well, I would argue that when it comes to the Lego the, the Traveler's Tales Lego games, the Lego games that we're all familiar with, I would put the Lego Batman games just under the Lego Star Wars games in terms of the importance to that studio and the importance to the Lego IP overall. Sure. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, for sure. Absolutely agreed. And and I mean, like we when we came into this, we thought about what do we do? Do we just like say Lego Batman the first one, which is this great sort of in the in the style of the old Lego games where it's pantomime, where it's a lot more focused and straightforward. And like there's a part of me that kind of really digs that about it. It's kind of, yeah. you know, back and in the day focused solely on Batman. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then like you get to Lego Batman 2, they started to, it's called DC Superheroes, so they started to work in Superman and Wonder Woman and Green Lantern and stuff. And that's all cool, but Batman was still very much a big piece of it. Then you get to Lego and Batman you the, 3, you well, know. Well, yeah, Lego Batman 2 had that big Gotham City that you could explore right. as well and and everything it was great. It was basically like Lego Batman and Superman and you had the beautiful theme from the from the movie but then yeah, yeah. you get to Lego Batman 3 which is essentially just Lego Justice League it's but called Batman Beyond and- Gotham like you, yeah you know you go everywhere yeah <laughs> you can go to other planets it, 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 it really is Lego DC universe it really is but Lego Batman had such name recognition that they just they used Batman's name and they do you know try to centralize the story around the dark knight and because of because of by the third game in the franchise you could just play as just about everybody in the dc universe batman characters bat family characters batman enemies included but there were so much more so but because of the expansiveness of the third one because of the awesome theme and the gotham city and what they did with the second game or do we just go with the first game the hyper focused really pure batman centric experience we really couldn't choose you guys yeah they even made a lego dc supervillains game based on the the lego batman i mean like there's so many lego batman and you know, Batman is playable in that one too. So that yeah. was also in contention for this so, list. I mean, like in, when it comes to like Batman fan service across Nintendo history, like, like Lego has really given the dark Knight a lot. If you're a Batman fan, you really don't need to look too much further. And really, if you're a fan of anything, Lego has probably done some sort of service to it at this point. But, um, but, but Batman fans are eating really well when it comes yeah. to the Lego games. Yes, I have 100%ed all three of those games in the main Batman franchise, and I would have no problem going back and doing it again, just running around as, I mean, not just the the multiple iterations of Batman. Another one of the reasons I like the first game is you had like the different suits instead of, you know, uh, just having, just giving Batman like all these powers, there were like 20 different Batman suits. Like an electricity suit or something. Exactly. Like... (laughs) <laughs> like those 90s variant, you know, action figures that you could get. Oh, totally. I've got flying projectile disc Batman. It, it <laughs> totally had that feeling to it with the original Lego Batman. And I loved it. But you could also play, of course, is like Lego Clayface and Lego Poison Ivy and, and all the classic characters. It's If you're a Batman fan, it's just pure Batman fan service fun. Yeah, it's man. fantastic. Really good. Well, uh, let's run down our list one more time for the folks. Our number five was the one-two punch of Batman Arkham Origins on Wii U and Batman Arkham Origins Blackgate on 3DS. Our number four is Injustice Gods Among Us on the Nintendo Wii U. Our number three was The Adventures of Batman and Robin on Super Nintendo. Our number two is Twofold Batman A Telltale Series and Batman The Enemy Within. And our number one is just the entirety of 
Lego Batman and all the amazing stuff that it has given to fans of the Cape Crusader over the years. Really so good. So fun. So fun. Uh, you know what? We're I'm excited to check out the Arkham games on Nintendo Switch. Again, I really hope they hold up. But I mean, if they don't, I have no problem booting back up one of those old Lego Batman games again. I man, I remember playing the first one on the Nintendo Wii. It was so so much fun. So, so much fun. But let us know what you guys think. Uh, is Batman your favorite superhero? What are your favorite Batman games? We would love to know. Reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter. Join the conversation over in our Discord. Let's talk some Arkham. Let's talk some Batman. Let's have some fun. But, you know, before we go today, we have a very, very important piece of business to conduct with all of you. It's been a very big month for releases this past November, and arguably none more so than a certain remake that we got in our hands just a week and a half ago. Yeah, we finally got the long-awaited remake of Super Mario RPG, and um, Eric and I have both 100% of the game. We've played a bunch of it, and, um, you know, got a lot of thoughts as it turns out turns out it wasn't just a quick and dirty port it wasn't just a little uh, teeny tiny remake turns out it is a full-blown remake and there's a lot to talk about so let's talk about it with our full review of super mario rpg And of course, we had to welcome Seth back with a big, meaty review. Really excited to talk about Super Mario RPG. But if you have never joined us for a full review before, here's how we do things. First and foremost, we don't actually issue scores. So we're not going to end the review with like, it's an 8 out of 10 or 2 stars or, or anything like that. That was a decision we made at the beginning of this show just because video games art are so complex they mean way too many things to too many people to just condense an entire experience down to a single numerical rating so we're just going to give you all of our full unvarnished thoughts about this product and let you the incredibly intelligent and handsome have you been working out have you been no. working out? incredibly intelligent listener? handsome <laughs> listener uh you know, handsome or beautiful listener, make your own informed decisions. Uh, now to help you do that for our review discussions, we do break them down into what we kind of feel are the four major categories that compose the experience of these games. And that is mm. the narrative, the presentation, the soundtrack, and then of course, the gameplay. We're going to talk about each of those elements individually, break them down for you, and let you know what we think about each and every aspect of that. Now, coming into Super Mario RPG, I mean, the game's been quite a bit of a known quantity for almost three decades now. This is not a new game Nintendo is releasing. This is a remake of a Super Nintendo classic. So really, really interested to see how Nintendo decided to go with this. I know you and I were both incredibly excited for the Super Mario RPG remake when we first saw it months ago at a Nintendo Direct teased by that opening scene of Peach in all of her pixelated glory sitting amongst a bunch of flowers and butterflies when dun-dun-dun-dun, 
Bowser shows up and then immediately the trailer goes to 3D. The remake is confirmed and my heart and I assume your heart went all the flutter that day. <laughs> it's it was a really cool um announcement and and one that I don't think many people expected, you know, especially for for the remake to be of this scale, for it to be a full remake, for it to be, you know, the visuals and, and everything to be completely redone. Um, I don't think many people sort of saw that coming. It would have been fair enough to just simply re-release the game. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people would have been okay with it, even just dropping on NSO. Yeah. Um, a lot of people would have been good with that, but this is a full on remake with a ton of new additions and, um, and remastering that, that will, uh, will get to and differences of course. But, um, to be honest with you, coming into this, you know, I, I really, I love, I like Super Mario RPG as much as the next guy, but, um, I had replayed it when it came out on the SNES Classic. Yep. And I was like, I like this game a lot. It's got a lot of charm and personality, but, like, this is baby's first RPG. Like, this is a very simple, streamlined, you know, for, for many people, this is kind of what introduced them to the concept of RPGs. And, like, to be fair, I don't think there's really any better first RPG that I could recommend to somebody than Super Mario RPG. Um, but so, you know, coming into this, I was kind of like, I'm excited to replay it. At the same time, this is a very kind of like straightforward, simple game. I know what I'm getting into here. Um, but I'll be honest, man, like playing this remake, the little changes and stuff, like I've really, it's it's really elevated my opinion um, of this game just in general. I had a great time with this. Yeah. When Super Mario RPG first came out back in 1996, RPGs as a genre were really still trying to get a strong foothold in the West. Now, we would get uh, a very clear indicator that that foothold was uh, was coming uh, just a few months later with the release of Super, uh, with the release of Final Fantasy VII, but it made a lot of sense for SquareSoft at the time to partner with Nintendo to be like, hey, we're really trying to make RPGs a thing. We're really trying to break through with this genre in the West. People will buy basically anything you slap Mario's mug on. It it really just seemed like the perfect, most obvious collaboration in the world for them at that time. Uh, and I'm sure for, you know, a lot of the people, for a lot of the decision makers, that was just kind of the onus. Let's make a halfway decent RPG as kind of an olive branch, as kind of a representative to the West to try to get people interested in this type of gameplay. But what we wound up getting was a game that kind of ended Nintendo and Square's relationship, again, we would wind up getting Final Fantasy VII just a few months later, confirming uh, and, you know, really solidifying Squaresoft's move over to the PlayStation brand. So even, even just getting Super Mario RPG on the SNES Classic a few years ago seemed seemed almost unthinkable a few years prior to that, given how prickly the relationship between Nintendo and Square had become. But now here we are in 2023 with a full remake. And I, I really like this remake. I do. I do have a couple criticisms of the game and we're certainly going to get to those, but ultimately a lot of the core elements of this game 
were kept very much intact. And some things were even functionally unchanged. Um, it was it was almost very close to just being a remaster, but they did add enough. They did change enough to to warrant basically a full review of this discussion. But getting into the narrative proper, I think. Uh, well, I mean, the narrative is the same. Bowser kidnaps Princess Peach. Mario has to go save her. That's the only thing that happens that it doesn't get any deeper than that. There's no other plot points or no other uh, narrative beats that we need to cover. Right, Seth? I mean, like the game doesn't have like a massive, you know, story The the, the thing with super Mario RPG, like the story is, is I think that this game in general is trying to let the player sort of just have fun in this world. There's a ton of charm and personality. There's much more, um, there's much less plot and much more character is what I would say about Mario RPG just in general. Um, so there's not like winding plus is not final fantasy six or chrono trigger or something um this is a very sort of straightforward plot um for the most part but it isn't just as simple as you know bowser kid kidnaps the princess um yes i, you was, know, they, I was being a little sarcastic <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, they they do wind up you know sticking a sword through bowser's castle a, a gigantic sword and you know there's a little bit more going on than that there's a there's a little bit more uh to to pick apart there you do wind up getting some new characters you know um mallow and gino are kind of like fan favorite characters at this point oh yeah um oh and, yeah uh, you know there's hilarity ensues <laughs> <laughs> hilarity does ensue yes a brand new antagonistic force has i guess from another dimension or something has come over to mario's world taken over bowser's castle and started to invade invade the mushroom kingdom but uh in doing so they wound up doing something uh maybe unintentionally but they wound up doing something very very bad and it is up to mario and company to right that wrong and kick this new antagonistic force out of their world and you are going to do that this time. It's not just Mario running around and jumping on people. You have an entire battle party ready to ride into battle with you. In addition to Mario, you know, I always thought it was weird that Luigi wasn't playable in this game. But you do wind up yeah. getting five party members throughout the course of the game. You do wind up getting the brand new characters that Seth's already mentioned. Malo, Gino, uh, Bowser and peach and a bunch of other NPCs and characters kind of show up. And a lot of them do have like kind of their fun little arcs as much of a fan favorite and as legendary as Gino has kind of become Malo probably has the most interesting character arc of anybody in the game. Absolutely. Yeah. Mal like you could make the argument that he's like the true main character. <laughs> yeah. He, he's got the most going on. Like, don't get me wrong. I like Gino as much as the next guy. Gino's pretty one-dimensional as a character. Yeah. <laughs> like This is what I'm here to do, and literally nothing beyond that. He doesn't have there, – there's no growth or anything like that. You know, <laughs> there's there's character progression. You know, you can get new armor and weapons and stuff and, uh, and new special attacks for him. But in terms of narrative, as cool conceptually – as Gino is, and Gino is an incredibly cool concept. 
I mean, dude, like, like his introduction, like I serve a higher authority. Mm-hmm. That's just one of the like hardest, like cool lines. <laughs> that's so, he's just cool. Like he's he just a cool, and the design is you know is so good. So I mean, you know, yeah. But there are no like Gino doesn't end the games like I've learned a lot on this journey about myself. <laughs> right. No, there's none of that going on. If you're looking for like any type of narrative depth here. Uh, Malo is is the character that kind of gives that to you. Bowser, uh, you know, Bowser doesn't necessarily have an arc, but we do get to see kind of a different side of Bowser in this game, which was always so fun to me. Yeah, yeah, I really like I really like that aspect of it. It's the NPCs and like the the other characters too. Like the the game has got so much you know, charm and per- you really just want to spend time in this world, you know, like it's, it's kind of nice to see. I mean, like I, I liked Mario wonder. I had a good time with Mario wonder, but like compared to something like this, like this kind of does throw it back to a time when Nintendo was allowing some more interesting and experimental things to be happening within the mushroom kingdom and the Mario universe. So like, it is kind of cool to see toads with mustaches and, you know, one of them's like a big buff biker, you know, kind of toad. You know, it's cool that, like, like Boshi probably doesn't happen today, you know, um, with today's Nintendo. So it is kind of nice to throw it back to, like, 1996, where you are seeing these kind of, like, interesting and fun kind of characters. It's also funny. You know, uh, the character of Booster in this game. I mean, who doesn't love Booster? I love Booster. He's so great. And and you you almost wonder, like, why wasn't that? not Wario. Yeah, like, why wasn't that Wario? Yeah. Right? But it's interesting, too, because, like, almost certainly the reason that wasn't Wario is because Nintendo was kind of anti-Wario. Nintendo, uh, the powers that be over there, were trying their best to sort of, like, uh, make Wario not a big deal. And despite their best efforts, Wario became a big deal. Um, in the 90s and and you know that's why he's persisted today so it's just kind of great to like kind of throw back to this era of Nintendo where things were just a little bit more left of center things just had a little bit more charm and personality and things were a little bit less vanilla um I don't know I I, I had a lot of like uh, I, I got a lot of pleasure and joy out of kind of going back to even like the concept of the villains of the Smithy gang are based on like weaponry. So there's like yeah. a little bit of like a medieval, like fantasy bent to the game and like the villains. It's, I don't know, man, it's cool. It's, it's refreshing. I really liked it. Uh, in terms of the narrative, nothing has changed for this remake. So if you have played the no. original, then the, it is the exact same story, all the exact same beats. And very much like 99% the exact same dialogue. There are a couple changes here and there. Weirdly, they change the name of a few characters. A couple of the right. enemies get their names changed. Uh, a couple of like the, the, the normal enemies get their name changed. I do think for the better, like a very early example of this is uh, you, you fight Bowser in basically the, the prologue of the story and there's a chain chomp holding a chandelier uh, chandelier uh, and they renamed that from chink link to chain delir. And I was like, Oh, that's cute. But is some of them make sense. Some of them, it's like, you probably should have, you know, it probably shouldn't be. It was some, some of those have become racial slurs. 
you know, and things like that. So well, I, get it. I, I don't know. But if that's the argument they want to go with, okay. But yeah, there were a couple other characters, a couple other fan favorite characters who did get their names changed. Now, Gino and Malo are still Gino and Malo. Uh, but ultimately, those are just, you know, a few weird footnotes. Uh, they changed that and they Mallow's, changed. Um, Mallow's psychopath ability is Thought Peak now. Yeah. You know, stuff yeah. like that. So, but nothing, oh, nothing game breaking, obviously, just a few things here or there. But uh, if you were wondering whether or not this was going to be like a Final Fantasy VII remake type deal when it comes to the narrative, uh, no. <laughs> no, no, not even remotely. It's the exact same narrative, the exact same story beats as. Uh, as they were back in 1996, which is perfectly fine. But uh, if you're looking for, you know, if you're looking for like a super deep narrative, it's not necessarily here. This is still a Mario game, but there is more than your standard plumber fare on offer. Yeah, you're here for, you, you know, you're here for the charm. You're here for the personality, the world, the characters, the dialogue. You're here for that stuff. Yeah. Um. You're you're not here for like this. This game's not going to make you cry yeah. at any point. Yeah, I wasn't. You know? I wasn't playing this game for layered political intrigue, or no. or anything like that. Which is perfectly fine. It's exactly what it needs to be. It's not going to be mm-hmm. like an all timer story. But that was never what this game set out to do. That being said, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. That being said, though, um, one of the the biggest, you know, sort of most obvious things about this remake uh, going into presentation is the way it looks. Um, they completely remade the game's visual style. Oh, yeah. Um, the original game on the Super Nintendo was kind of in line with something like a Donkey Kong exactly. Country. Where exactly. Exactly kind of had that chunky kind of look to it. Um, I really like that. And, and to be honest with you, um, when they first revealed the game, I was like, this looks really pretty, but I felt like maybe it was kind of missing something. Now that I've actually played a bunch of the game and seen it with my own eyes, I really like what they've done here. The game looks beautiful. It does look really good. And it looks the way that I, in my mind's eye, thought the game looked back in 1996. Um, mm. It is, it it absolutely perfectly captures the feel of the game with its presentation. And that goes beyond the, uh, you know, just the, the graphical overhaul to the UI and to a lot of the, you know, sound effects and stuff like that, which we'll get into. But just from a pure aesthetic game graphical perspective, I like it. I do. But I did feel like it was just safe. I thought it looked good, but it didn't, for me, it didn't blow me away. Like it looks fine, but I couldn't help thinking the entire time that, you know what, they had an opportunity. Maybe they could have made an actual creative decision here. Mm. I can see that. I mean, I think that there's, um, there's some intentionality with some of the stuff because, like they could have they could have polished it up even more than they did. So like one of my favorite things about it, even though the game looks like way prettier, there's still a lot of the sort of like Super Nintendo jankiness like yeah. when 
you know, there's a running gag in the game where Mario has to like sort of pantomime and, it's you know, so act great. things out. And so it's, it's really good. Um, but that all looks just as janky and stilted as it did on Super Nintendo. You know, um, somebody on Twitter pointed out that the the character Valentina, who is this uh, this character you meet maybe you know through oh I know exactly what game. you're about to say yeah yeah <laughs> yeah like her her kind of overworld sprite yeah uh, is different from her battle sprite and they went as far as to also like faithfully recreate that but with the new visual style which is great and like the lighting is really good like some of the effects like the water effects and stuff i think are really good and i kind of just like seeing these kind of like short squat you know sort of characters i don't know it it really worked for me i i wasn't like i wasn't super into it when we first saw it but i've really come around um, to it, especially seeing like some of these areas and enemy types and stuff, uh, realized in this art style. I, I dug it. Yeah. I will say that the art style and how faithfully so much of the game was recreated did really make me feel for large swaths of the game. Like I was just playing, like I felt the same way I did when I was playing the original, which I mean, is perfectly fine because playing the original made Eric incredibly happy. Uh, but you know, yeah, I, I, that's just me. If you disagree, completely understand. But for me, I did, there there was something in my brain that said, I, I feel like they could have done just a little bit more made like an actual artistic decision instead of just trying to, you know, smooth out the edges of the pixels from the 1996 version. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know. That's, when you get into that, you very quickly get into decisions that could potentially torpedo the remake very quickly. So I do kind of understand where they were coming from with that. They were trying to recreate the experience of the original and just kind of like with the narrative, with that mission in mind, they did absolutely nail it. Yeah. I mean, they also, I think another... um credit that should be paid to this remake that uh is maybe going to go a bit undersung is like on the super nintendo um we still had this kind of like diorama-esque art style but it looked a lot more stilted like things were kind of just like it's almost like you know floating like toe jam and earl diorama platforms in the sky or something yeah um they did a way better job of like sort of just with the the backgrounds and foliage and stuff of like maintaining the diorama sort of vibe, but making it feel like it was still like a cohesive piece of the world. I really dug that. That's something that I think is maybe going to get a little uh, a little undersung. They they did a really good job of balancing that. It could have been easy to make that feel like it wasn't true to the spirit of the original, but I think they they did a really good job of that. I they they could have made the Nimbus land vines a slightly less annoying. Oh sure. Yeah. <laughs> that that stuff's annoying. But like you look at it's funny to go back and look at the original because like you you look at like the forest and it's just like black nothingness on the outside of it. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And and it's just kind of neat. Like they they just, you know, it still feels like a diorama, but it's way more full. It feels natural and good. So yeah. yeah. And there's, there's several things when it comes to presentation that we could and should absolutely highlight. But I will say that Super Mario RPG has maybe my favorite video game moment of 2023. 
<laughs> with one of the additions to the game. And mm-hmm. in the original version, when a character leveled up, it would switch to the screen. They would come up out of this little pipe and there were little flowers around and it would tell you the stats that you increase and give you the option to choose one of three stats, HP, uh, magic or physical stats to also increase. And it was fine. Again, you know, Mario throws up his peace sign and it was great. It was adorable. However, in the new version, they've switched that out for something infinitely better. Um, When a character levels up, you go to this screen where all the characters in your party are. The spotlight goes to the character who just leveled up, who makes this incredibly happy gesture. And then everyone else in the party just starts to dance. Just this funny, adorable little dance. Every other character in your party just does this little jig and it might be the best thing ever. It's really good. Yeah. It's great to see the characters just kind of like doing a little, little simple dance, you know, a little looping animation, just pleasant. And I love the fact that even like Bowser's dance almost looks like he's stomping, like he's stomping angry, but it's done in this dance form. Like he's doing it begrudgingly or something. Yeah, it's like, like he's <laughs> ur, ur, ur. I guess I'll dance. Exactly. Yeah. But really just, good stuff too. But just yeah. having Mario like shake his shoulders and sashay back and forth. The first time I saw that, I just I immediately fell in love. I was like, that is the cutest thing I've maybe ever seen. Yeah, I mean, I'll say too, like when it comes to presentation, um, the game like runs great like yeah. it's so yeah. snappy um it's so fast like it's so they they've really optimized the heck out of this there are going to be a couple spots where like the frame rate will drop every so often but it's like very few and far between for the most part like this thing runs like just like you can get especially with battles like you can get in and out of battles in seconds i mean yeah. like it's just the, the so frictionless and quick and fast moving. I, I really love that. Yeah. There are a couple things that changed up about the UI, but nothing like nothing that really stands out too much for the most part. The mini screen is a little bit different than it was in the original, noticeably different, but nothing to the point where it changes too much. The battle UI is a little bit different rather than have the character portraits Uh, along the side of the screen. They're now all along the bottom. Again, just another slight change that doesn't really change anything. Just fun little tweaks here or there. I will say, uh, and this does, I think, kind of play into the presentation a little bit. The timed hits, which we'll talk about more in the gameplay, uh, a lot of them weren't necessarily as obvious how well you would performed them in the original. So there were right. little presentational tweaks in this to show you kind of an elevated or even a perfect execution of a timed attack or whatever attack, which I did really appreciate in this version. Yeah, that's really cool. There's also, and we'll talk about this more in the gameplay as well, but um, the new triple moves have some amazing cutscenes yeah, that play that's fair. with them. Especially Mario, um, Malos, and Genos, the first one that you get. That's yeah. so cute. 
It really is. It's really, really good. And then like, yeah, you know, there are moments in the game too that do have kind of these fully rendered cutscenes attached to them. And they're all really good. There's no voice acting in no. the game. Um, nor should there be, really. Um, but like it's yeah, they're it's it's really beautiful stuff. Yeah, everything that used to be rendered in game, like collecting the seven stars or the introduction of new characters, that again was just all rendered with the game engine, now have their own pre-rendered cutscenes for for each of those. And they're fun. They're really good. I like the additions of them, especially Malo's attempt at climbing a wall. Uh, very good. It's very good. The end credits sequence. Dude, dude the parade. Yeah. Dude, the parade. Yeah. Oh my, I love how they did the parade and the transit. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. It was really good. I was, when it first started, I was kind of like disappointed. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, really? And then like, yeah, it's okay. Y'all got me. It's really good. Yeah, it's good stuff, man. It's the like, I, I yeah, I really dig that. Um, about this game. Was there anything else with presentation you wanted to hit before we move to music? I don't think so. I think we got everything. Okay. All right. Well, the music in this game is wonderful. Um, I mean, <laughs> the music in this game review, Yokoshima Mora, end of review. Yeah. I mean, Yokoshima Mora is like my second favorite composer of all time. She's incredible. The music was always great in this game, um, you know, even in the original, but she came back to uh, sort of re uh, rework and, and recompose like her old stuff. And it's all so good. It's out of control, man. Like the, the stuff that she did, like the, the different passes and the, the especially stuff like Rose town comes to mind Yeah, where that is now this kind of like jazzy, you know, sort of, it's so good. The fact that they've included, when you finish the game, you get a sound player and you yeah. can just listen to the entire soundtrack whenever you want. You can swap back and forth between the original yep. and the new. Yeah. Oh, that was, yeah, that was dude. a very, hov- uh, very heavily publicized aspect of the game is of course the soundtrack from the original was one of its best aspects. Again, Yokoshima Mora, uh, but the ability to, to transfer to transition at any time between the classic and the new soundtrack was such a great addition. And I did that several times throughout the course of the game. And, you know, me being more of a music lay person, I did have to, to kind of listen fairly intently to some of the songs, to some of the compositions to hear the difference. There are a lot of them that are very, very arguably overly faithful to their originals, but I mean, overly faithful to a fantastic soundtrack is not something that I'm ever going to complain about. They're so good, man. Like, you know, like I, I look at like the themes for Nimbus land and seaside and monster town. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's some really, really great tracks in here. Um, and they've done a good, you know, a really good job, like sort of, bringing this stuff up and you know yeah some of them stick a little closely uh to the original where it just sort of feels like they've they've you know take a remaster pass on it but some of them do have quite different um vibes to them that um that that i really really dig and uh yeah no it's just the the soundtrack was always great and so it's still great here yeah (laughs) a good glow up even if they had done nothing with the soundtrack no notes Honestly, no, no, mm-hmm. it is. I, I still that that the the Mario RPG soundtrack is just one of those things where 
I just, I hear a piece and I'm immediately transported. Like I hear that, uh, uh, like I hear the, the mushroom way, like dun, 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 yeah. dun. And I'm just immediately transported back to 1996. Or, you know, I hear that ending theme. Uh, or I hear the jingle that plays when you collect one of the stars, the dun, 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 the star Hill theme, which is fantastic or just all of them. They're just Mario RPG has always had a very clear musical identity, I think. Um, and you know, the remake was always going to kind of polish those up and, and bring that into the modern era but just being able to reconnect with that musical identity just made me very happy. Yeah, man, it's, it's great. And it, it really, you know, it, it nails like the nostalgia factor. It's, yeah. it's all there, you know, no notes. It's, it's one of the best, <laughs> you know, just kind of by default, one of the best soundtracks of the year. <laughs> As if Yokoshima Mora would, you know, accept any notes from us at this point. <laughs> yeah. Like, Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, absolutely fantastic. But I mean, going into the gameplay, just like many things in this, it is also incredibly faithful to the original. However, uh, there are a few wrinkles. But if you've never played Super Mario RPG before, it plays very much like a mid 90s turn based RPG. You have your characters on one side of the screen. You have enemy characters on the other side of the screen. And you take turns going back and forth and attacking each other until one side has been completely defeated. And after each battle, you get experience points. You level up, as we've alluded to previously. And all of the the hallmarks, all of the, the, like the skeletal foundation of turn-based RPGs are all here. Items, equipment, again, magic attacks, uh, MP, they call it FP in this game, but they do do a couple. But even when the game came out, they did a couple interesting things with the formula that I always really appreciated. Uh, One interesting thing that they did with the original is instead of individual characters having their own magic points or again, flower points, as they're known here, it is collective to the group. The group has a single pool of flower points of magical power that they can draw from, which in turn has to be singularly replenished. I thought that was an interesting little uh, interesting little wrinkle. But always, always the biggest wrinkle of Super Mario RPG has always been this idea of time tits, of yep. having attacks that you can strengthen by pressing the attack button at the right time or for many of the magic or special attacks, rotating your control stick fast enough, mashing the buttons, or holding the button down for the precise amount of time. It turned combat in Super Mario RPG from just simple menu navigation into this kind of constant minigame QTE. It made the combat in Super Mario RPG so much more engaging and so much more enjoyable, so much so that even though the game wasn't necessarily too difficult, the fact that the game was constantly engaging you in that way made it super interesting throughout. And all of that, everything that I just said, 
is still 100% true in the remake. Yeah, I mean, like, if you are a fan of Paper Mario, if you're a fan of Mario and Luigi, those RPGs, they came from this. Yeah. Um, you know, this this game laid the groundwork for all that. If you're a fan of something from this year, like Sea of Stars, yep. you know, that came from this. You know, Super Mario RPG was was really the progenitor of uh, of all of this, and they've they've done some things here that um, little wrinkles to to the combat in particular that I think both make it a lot more interesting um, and a, a, a lot more engaging. Um, there are a couple of like little wrinkles to it now that that I think work well. Um, there's also a lot of like stuff that they've, the stuff that they've added has made an already easy game quite a bit easier. Yeah. Um, which is maybe a complaint that I have with it because even the the game does actually have like an easier difficulty, a new breezy mode, which makes the combat even easier and it makes your characters level up faster as well. Um, which is going to be great for like kids, you know, newcomers, casual gamers. If you've literally never played a video game before. Yeah, but but like the core game is really easy and like some of the little additions have made it even easier. Yeah, I wondered if it was just because I was so familiar with the game from having already played it several times, but I did find the the core game. I did find it disappointingly easy. The bosses had like it took me for most of the bosses in the game, it only took me a few turns. And when I say a few, I'm honestly talking just a few, like three or four turns in some cases, even for someone like the Axum Rangers. I think that took me five turns with everything that they've done to, to expand on the gameplay, a few little, you know, changes that they made it, it made the game. It honestly too easy. It did, which was unfortunate. But again, the the very, very interactive nature of the combat still made it enjoyable. But I never once for a second was concerned that any of my characters were going to get knocked out during the main game. Not once. No, the only time I even, the only time I failed at all, and I'm sure we'll talk about the new post game bosses, yeah. but um, like some of the post, the new post game bosses have kind of party wiping mechanics, and like that's the only time I ever failed even once. And it's it's an easy game. They they've had a, a couple things. So now, um, you have the timing based action command prompts. If you hit them perfectly, now yep. you'll do actually splash damage to. Um, some of the other enemies, because often you're fighting enemies in groups. So that's the way they've made it easier. Um, another part, um, and I actually do like this, the chained attack buffs yeah. um, that, that they've added to this, which is neat because this adds another little wrinkle to it where um, you have, you know, even though you're going to have five party members, ultimately, um, you can only have three of them active at a time. And as you do better in battle and as you chain your attacks perfectly, you can activate little boosts that your different party members will give you. If it's defense, attack, speed, magic attack, whatever. Um, and that's neat too. Like that, but again, that, that all just serves to make you more powerful and the game easier. Yeah. (laughs) And honestly, I was breezing through it so much. I didn't even realize this until late in the game. But another fairly big change they made to the combat was in this version of the game, you can actually switch party members out in the middle of a fight. 
So yep. if, uh, I mean, you can do it normally, but uh, if a party member of yours does get KO'd, you will get the option to switch that party member out with a new party member uh, with a with an uh, with a conscious party member who will then immediately get to act. Um, right. So there's that as well. So if you did wind up having any trouble with any of the bosses, you actually had the ability to switch out. Mario always has to be in the party, but you can switch out the other two members. Uh, of the party. Like if you have Mario, uh, Gino and Bowser at any point, you could bring in peach or Malo to replace one or even both of them. Um, so that was another fairly significant change that they made that again, I didn't, re- didn't even realize until late in the game because there was literally only one fight in the entirety of the game post game included in which it came into play for me. Um, yeah. So, but there was, you know, there was the splash damage. There was uh, the changing party members out, but there was also one big, major change to yep. the game in terms of uh, the battle system. Yep, triple moves. Yep, um, you've got this action gauge that is filling up depending on how well you're attacking or defending. Once it reaches a hundred percent, you can trigger a triple move. There's a different triple move for every like kind of variation of trios that you have. So if you have Mario, Mallow, and Gino out, they've got their own triple move. Yeah. Every unique party, every single unique party has their own attack and it could be uh, support. It could be attack. It could be healing. It just depends on who's out there. But again, each unique trio has their own. Which is neat and it's cool. And they all have beautiful cutscenes associated with them. And if, um, if you don't have a full party out, like if one of them happens to be down, um, you can still use the gauge. It just summons a support toad, um, who will give you like, uh, you know, whatever, an item or something like that, which is yeah. also fine. But, you know, I mean, once again, like it's, it's cool and it's flashy and it's like a lot of fun and beautiful, but like, you know, like it, it is yet another thing that just continues to make the game even easier. It makes me really wish that like there had been the ability to disable some of this stuff or like a hard mode, you know, they gave us an easy mode. It would have been kind of cool to get a hard mode included where, you know, maybe you took more damage, leveled up less quickly, you know, like that, that would have been kind of nice. The only balance that they really put into the game uh, to offset basically how extra powerful you are is the fact that now occasionally you will run into souped up versions of enemies that will grant you a very rare frog coin upon defeat. And I'll admit they surprised me a couple times. Like, wow, that that was more damage than I thought. It was like, Oh, it's, it's one of the souped up versions. Right. Uh, Never. I never felt like I was in any danger, but I, I did think toward the end of the game, I, man, I wish there was a version of the game you could play with nothing but like souped up enemies. That'd be so cool. I yeah, would that'd be great. I would 100% play through that because the characters like those souped up versions, they do extra damage, but they're also very damage spongy. Some of them will take several turns with all of your characters. Like they're basically mini bosses essentially, and they can appear at any time. So yeah, toward the end of the game, I was like, I really wish I could, there was a difficulty where I could just face nothing but souped up characters. I would have a lot of fun 
with that. It would certainly be a lot more of a slog, but it would be, I think, a lot more of an interesting challenge. But that's that's possibilities. That doesn't exist at this current place in time. The The main game as we have it is cool. It's fun. It's interesting. But I do wish they had done more to balance out these triple moves and the splash damage. And I guess one other thing we should mention, even though the game was really so easy, it didn't come into play, frankly, for me, is they also changed how you like how many items you can carry in your inventory system so that you can while you won't necessarily be able to carry like 50 revives you can still carry a considerable number of items more so ultimately than you were able to in the original version of the game in the original version of the game you had a set number of item slots that you could use for whatever items you wanted in this version of the game you have a much more expanded inventory, but you can only hold so many of any given item. So Right. And you even have a storage box where excess items exactly, will go yeah. now too. You can even like outside of combat, you can do like a quick men- like a quick heal sort of thing. Um and and like revives are so cheap. Yeah. Too. They are. Like and, and, and so, they're full you know, revives. It's an item that fully heals you all HP and, you know, owing to the game and its difficulty. And this was true in the original as well. But like 60% of the time when you use one of those items in game, it won't even consume the item. You'll see this little message that says you got a freebie. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and, and it really like, it's the kind of thing where it's like, okay, I get like, this is all intentional. You know, like this yeah. is, in, this is an intentionality on the part the game is not trying to be difficult in other words it just you you can't help because everything else in the game is so good as a you know quote unquote hardcore gamer whatever you can't help but want something more and another thing that that kind of like didn't quite land for me in this the game is very streamlined the game is very simplistic um again like I kind of said at the top, this is like the best first RPG ever. Like this is the best introduction course to the RPG genre ever. Um, and that comes down to the equipment too, because every character can equip a weapon, clothes and an accessory, but there's not really much in the way of like builds. Like characters have like a really objective, like Mario has the lazy shell. You know what I mean? Like, They, they all have kind of like, th- this is objectively like, you're going to get this. Everybody's going to have basically the same party composition, you know, and there's not really any incentive to change that. Um, you know, Paper Mario would introduce like the badge systems and stuff like that. This game doesn't have anything like that. This game is very straightforward. You're basically just watching numbers go up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for the for the majority of it, when you get to a new town, you'll get access to objectively better weapons and armor. It's the accessories that will add any type of variation to what you're doing, which admittedly there are a decent variety, not an overabundance of accessories, but a decent variety of what these accessories can do. A lot of it does come down to preventing status effects, of which the game does have a couple interesting ones. Poison is here, sleep is here, silence is here. But there are also two admittedly fairly unique status effects to Super Mario RPG. Uh, One of your characters can be turned into scarecrows, 
which is hilarious, which is essentially the anti-silence. A scarecrow can only cast magic spells, which I think is fun and unique. And then the other one, which takes the concept of a mushroom kingdom way too literally, a, <laughs> a character of yours can literally be turned into a mushroom, yeah. uh, which cannot act aside from defense. Uh, however, they will gain HP back every turn. And eventually, like after three or four turns, they will revert back to their human form unless they're rehit with the same status. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's all neat. And I, I'll say too, that like all of this would annoy me more if the game was even a little slower. The game is so snappy yeah. and so fast. Like you're like, you're so in and out of combat. Things just move. at such a steady clip that like, it just makes the entire thing so frictionless that like, I, you know, like, like I think in, in other games that are not this, like snappy and straightforward, it would annoy me way more than it does here. Um, it's a strength. I think of the game's design of like how, you know, just go, go, go. It is. It'll take you less time to beat super Mario RPG than it will to beat future redeemed the DLC campaign for Xenoblade Chronicles three. Um, but again, you know, that's not to take anything away from its value. It's doing exactly what it set out to do. But I was, I, again, I couldn't just help but be disappointed at just how, just how breezy and how absent there was of a challenge on my playthrough. It was basically just a jaunt down memory lane, and I was smacking enemies back and forth out of my path, just kind of hoping that it took me even just a little bit more effort. But going yeah. back and getting all the secrets, and it was still just as fun as it ever was. But they did add a very significant amount of post-game content that did include some admittedly very interesting new fights that I was very happy for. Yeah, I liked these. Um, I did so too. Yeah, they, they let you like re-challenge many of the uh, the major bosses of the game. And, and like... This still isn't that challenging, but like they they at least have like usually there's some kind of like gimmick that you need to figure out, like some kind of battle. I actually had to consider a strategy. Right. You have to actually like think about it. Um which is which is nice. Like in a game where again, like you can you can get through most of this game, you know, just kind of brainlessly, but like they they do make you think. It's not necessarily challenging, but they do make you think and they even like um, you know, there's a super boss that was present in the first one. You can even re-challenge that one with kind of like a second, you know, kind of kind of part of that too. And that was really cool to see. Yeah, that was um, that was a really fun fight. Probably the most fun yeah. fight in the game. I enjoyed that. Uh, there was a, another fight that includes uh, a you know a countdown to essentially a team wiping attack that I had right. a lot of fun with figuring out. Uh, a refight against a certain bomb centric character i thought had a yeah. really cool gimmick to it so a few of the post-game boss fights you can just kind of muscle your way through but there are a couple really interesting battle gimmicks here and i enjoyed the you know the semblance 
of a challenge that I couldn't just mindlessly hit the attack button or the special button and, and just blow my way through everything. There were some really cool gimmicks. I had to actually consider strategies and it was far and away the most fun I had with the game. Yeah, same. Well, and, and it'll also kind of often reward you with like the kind of ultimate version yeah. of a like new the character's ultimate weapon. version of the yeah. right. Yeah, which is neat. You know, really, really cool. Um, I'll also say that like they added a couple of like quality of life things that I do think serve to make the experience a lot better. Things like auto save, things like yeah. fast travel. You know, which yeah. is really cool and useful. Going back, I will say you already mentioned the the item. Uh, storage that yeah. you have. If I was going to say one thing about the original Super Mario RPG, it's that whenever you get anything and you already have a full inventory, it immediately takes you to your inventory. It's like, okay, what do you want to keep? What don't you want to keep? And you know, like you, you get items at a fairly quick pace in the game. Right. So anytime you finish a fight and you get like a new mushroom healing item, like you're constantly being taken back to that inventory screen. It's like, okay, what do you want to keep? What do you want to throw away? So having these items immediately go to Mario's storage box, as opposed to constantly barraging you with that inventory screen. What do you want to keep? What do you want to throw away? I'm like, shut up. I just want to play. So yeah. removing that from the game alone was enough of a quality of life improvement. But, you know, they also added fast travel, not necessarily like <laughs> it's going to take you an extended amount of time to go from one side of the game to the other. But fast travel was, you know, it was it, it, it was still nice to see. They removed That's a nice. couple. Yeah. They removed a couple little warp trampolines from the game because they added fast travel. That's just, you know, a fun little fun little bitty change they made to it but uh you know i i you know as long as they kept beatlemania and that was all i cared about <laughs> well and like we you know so we get stuff like that um they they've also got like uh uh, the the fact that they've they've done little teeny tiny uh, tiny tweaks to make sure that you can't miss any of the collectibles anymore. Yeah. Um. There's a really famous hidden chest from oh, the first game that yeah. you only have one chance yep. to get at the beginning. And fix oh that. my lord! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so little stuff like they there's a lot of care. You know, like you can tell that the people, Art Piazza, who we learned is the developer of this game, uh, you can tell that they were like big fans of the original game and, and you know, made those little tiny tweaks. I like the monster list that you can fill out now. Yeah. The little bestiary that you can use Mallow's Thought Peak to, uh, to fill out, which is neat. Yeah. Yeah. And we've been talking about the battle system this whole time, but to be fair, to be fair, Mario RPG actually does have... A, a relatively robust little uh, little selection of mini games that yeah. you can play in. Uh, there is uh, like a a barrel uh, like barrel down the river coin jumping mini game that you can take part in. There's a minecart track mini game that you can take part in. There's a mini game where you run up a hill and you're trying to jump on barrels to to gain ground up the hill to collect beetles. Uh, there's a casino where you can no longer bet money. Uh, <laughs> there's there's actually a fairly robust number of little mini games that you can distract yourself from the main the main uh, campaign with, which you know I do appreciate. It was fun. It's like oh you know what I'll go back and do the waterfall course again. Okay I'll go to you know 
uh, this tower and I'll play, you know, left or right hand with this guy. There was, you know, it's not just the battle system. They put, uh, they put a lot of fun little distractions in there as, as well, which are worth shouting out. Yeah. Like I, I, I like, you know, that, that stuff's all fun. There's a lot of variety. There I is. like how the, um, I like how Malo's like thought peak can even like, uh, sometimes add like a little bit of like lore context. Oh, to it. it's I, I, so good. It's really good. Um, there's a, if you do one on the booster post game fight, you mentioned Beatlemania. He was, uh, his, his sort of like monster profile, uh, s- says that he's like the, he was the original Beatlemania owner before he sold it to the Beetle Toad or whatever to, to the raise lore. funds. <laughs> yeah, to raise funds for the engine zero two three, you know. Um, I love stuff like that. You know, like I eat stuff like that up. I love that. So um yeah, there's just a lot of uh a lot of love and care, you know, that that was put into this in a lot of significant ways. Again, is it too easy? Yeah, is it a little too straightforward to the modern, like hardcore gamer? Yeah, but like, man, I had such a good time going back too. to this. I really did. I did too. I I have such a fondness, such a, a true love for the original that even as easy as it was, even disappointingly as easy, I still couldn't help but be happy the entire time. The the combat is still engaging because of the time tits and, and the other little kind of micro games that you can play with the different attacks. The characters have such personality. Mario's pantomiming throughout the game is just as adorable. Still and, so good. And in Endearing yeah. as it ever was, the level up dance that I was constantly getting to see never failed to put a smile on my face. Like if if they just added just a post game, just up a hard mode that I was talking about, where you just fought all the suit. If they just added that, this would be a near perfect game, as far as I'm concerned. It's it's definitely up there for me in terms of like my favorite remasters um and i yeah i would i would love to see stuff like that to be honest with you this made me want like a super mario rpg too like this made me want like an actual sequel that could actually deepen the mechanics a little bit in the modern i don't know how viable that is but like i would actually really like to see that and the game's selling really well um like surprisingly well i think probably better than nintendo was expecting it to and you know like I had a great time with this. I this is maybe a bit of a hot take, but like I coming into this, I didn't think I was gonna like the remake of Mario RPG more than Mario Wonder, but I kind of did. <laughs> I said what I said. Well, it's really good. I really enjoyed it. I just just for the ability, even if it was just a mediocre remake of the game. Uh, I would have been happy to replay through this classic. If you have the ability to check out the original, I do recommend uh, playing the original version of the game. It still holds up. I mean, again, the gameplay for the most part was functionally unchanged. The original still plays incredibly well. And going back to to see, you know, the few changes, putting the two games side by side, I think is super interesting. Uh, there's already YouTube videos out there about like kind of the subtle changes and little differences that were made between the old version and the remake. But it doesn't change the fact that this remake is an incredibly faithful and incredibly worthy successor to a classic Nintendo game. So well done, guys. 
Well done, indeed. Really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, let us know what you thought. I know that there were people in our uh, community that were playing the game. We had a little... Uh, yep. I made a game hub for it, so people were sharing their... I know there were people um, that had, were playing it for the first time, uh, which was cool to see. I think this is such a great introduction to Mario it RPG, is. man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, once you get the timed hits down, it's because like, oh, I can kill basically everything in like two hits. But aside from the souped up enemies, but yeah, it's still a ton of fun. I would love to hear the perspective from a lot of the first timers out there because this, you know, while it was my first time playing the remake, it was probably my fifth, maybe sixth time playing the game at large. So I would love to hear the perspective of people playing the remake, getting to experience this title for the first time. So if that's you, like, let us know what you thought of the Super Mario RPG remake. Uh, Did you love it? Did you hate it? Did you rage at the fact that they removed the Legend of the Seven Stars subtitle from the game? (laughs) But let us know what you thought. Reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter, at All In Podcast. Come join our amazing community over in the discord like seth said we have a game hub over there specifically for super mario rpg right now so come and join in on the fun little discussion we have going on there in addition to that make sure to check us out on youtube as we talked about earlier seth has had all kinds of videos going up recently from stuff from the indie show uh, from the indie world showcase stuff going up soon uh, our live news Uh, breakdowns every week tons of reasons to check that out but in addition to this podcast and the discord and uh, the youtube channel seth i don't know how we do it but somehow we even find time to make exclusive content for those patrons we shouted out at the top of the show we do patreon.com slash all in podcast that's the place to be three tiers of support over there we really appreciate everybody who does that already uh you can head over there and get a seven day free trial to the golden banana tier get yourself uh, a taste of what uh what we talk about here every week on the show see the exclusive content that you've been missing uh very very much appreciate everybody who does that again you can also support the show by picking up some merch at bit.ly slash all in merch that is very appreciated or you can support the show entirely for free by leaving us five star review, dropping some words on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, that is very free, very quick and easy, very appreciated. Gets our show in front of the people who need to hear it. So thanks so much to everybody who does that. Yeah. And who wouldn't want to hear Seth's dulcet tones, that very white bass? <laughs> everybody needs that in their life. But to everybody. All right. See, see, I listen to this every week and it still gets me going, but thank you to everybody who has uh, become a patron. You guys are amazing to everybody who has picked up a piece of our merch at bit.ly slash all in merch, just in case you didn't hear it for the first time to everybody who has dropped words at whatever podcasting service you happen to listen to us on to each and every single one of you out there who has even just shared our content across the internet and gotten it in front of more people to each and every one of you. We extend a heartfelt holiday. Namaste. Namaste. Indeed. I made it. The voice held out at least for a little while. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not just like uh, croaking too much uh, <laughs> through this. Yeah. Seth's um, the frog sage right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm the frog. (laughs) Now, did I have to consume like half a gallon of hot tea to get through this episode? Yes, but we did it anyways. I'm happy to be back. Uh, We we made it through, and now I'm going to go rest up the voice and, uh, (laughs) you know, try not to sound like Christian Bale's Batman too much. 
you know. <laughs> Where is she? No. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but guys, thank you so much for joining us for yet another episode of All In, a Nintendo podcast. Really excited to see what the end of the year holds. Uh, obviously, Golden Ace season is coming up soon. Mm-hmm. So we hope you guys are getting as excited as we are but we have a lot more work to do. So we will catch you guys next week. But until then, I have been Skies of Eric Cadia Legends. And I have been Seth World Build. We'll see you next week. We love you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm trying to emulate your word. Bye. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>